2: Welcome to episode 3 of the Failed Critic Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. As ever, I'm joined by Jerry McCauley.
1: Hello.
2: And James Diamond.
1: Hello, everyone.
2: Uh, This week we haven't got a new film to review for you because we've all been very busy. Uh, I've been to Barcelona on a stag do and James has been to a wedding So we haven't managed to get to the cinema, but we have got a look at some of the new releases coming out this summer that we're all looking forward to. In triple bill, we will be looking at the best movie speeches, in our opinions, and we'll finish off with the good, the bad, or the ugly. Slight change to usual there. Uh, James, if you want to tell people how the podcast has been going in the last couple of weeks since we started up?
1: Um. Yeah, we're on to our third episode now. Uh, So I'm not sure whether we should set this in the Wild West or introduce some cuddly characters or even give Sophia Coppola a screen debut. Um, Those are all things that went wrong in third episodes before. Hopefully, we'll just be talking about some good films instead. We've actually topped 100 downloads for episode two. So thank you to everyone who downloaded the podcast, and hopefully some of you are tuning back this time. We've got over 200 downloads for our first two episodes so far, so that's been beyond my wildest expectations. Uh, we've now added, as well as our American and our Canadian fans, we've now we've now got listeners in Singapore, Turkey, Mexico, Japan, and Germany as well, so uh, Guten Tag and uh i i just say hello in japanese uh-
2: Welcome to episode 3 of the Failed Critic Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. As ever, I'm joined by Jerry McCauley. Hello. And James Diamond.
1: Hello, everyone.
2: Uh, This week we haven't got a new film to review for you because we've all been very busy. Uh, I've been to Barcelona on a stag do and James has been to a wedding so we haven't managed to get to the cinema, but we have got a look at some of the new releases coming out this summer that we're all looking forward to. In triple bill, we will be looking at the best movie speeches, in our opinions, and we'll finish off with the good, the bad, or the ugly. Slight change to usual there. Uh, James, if you want to tell people how the podcast has been going in the last couple of weeks since we started oh,
1: yeah. up. Um. Yeah, we're on to our third episode now. Uh, So I'm not sure whether we should set this in the Wild West or introduce some cuddly characters or even give Sophia Coppola a screen debut. Um, Those are all things that went wrong in third episodes before. Hopefully, we'll just be talking about some good films instead. We've actually topped 100 downloads for episode two. So thank you to everyone who downloaded the podcast. And hopefully some of you are tuning back this time. We've got over 200 downloads for our first two episodes so far. So that's been beyond my wildest expectations. Uh, we've now added, as well as our American and our Canadian fans, we've now we've now got listeners in Singapore, Turkey, Mexico, Japan, and Germany as well. So uh, Guten Tag and uh I had to say hello in japanese
2: uh, so I, I don't know and i don't know jerry's really want to... got languages jerry
1: knows spanish <laughs> konnichiwa to everyone in japan <laughs> excellent um we're quite big in seattle five downloads in seattle wow uh california is fourth in our list of regions of the world we've got six downloads in california could well be three people who've downloaded both episodes but still hello <laughs> california nice to know we we've got our foot in the door in hollywood anyway <laughs> And um we've also had some really good feedback, some positive feedback, some constructive feedback. Some people did say we're too long, but no one ever said that about das Boot, So uh we'll we'll try and be a bit zippier for everyone.
2: I've I've ranged from being called the podcast answer to Carl Pilkington to sounding not interested at all. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> To be fair, you were <laughs> celebrating promotion last week. So, I was I, mean, I was
2: I'm... I was very bearded up last week when I was recording, so um Yes, yeah, so shall we begin with what films we're looking forward to watching this summer? Um, and we'll start with Jerry. What are your picks for us?
0: Um, first off, uh, the first one I'm going for is an obvious choice, really. Uh, it's the Bourne legacy, which is, of course, the reboot of the, the, the previous Bourne trilogy. Not featuring Matt Damon this time around. It's Jeremy Renner, uh, who was recently rather uh, fetching as an action hero in the Avengers He's, he's the main action hero in this one. It's also got Edward Norton in it. It's got Rachel Weiss. Um, there's also uh, a guy called Corey Stoll, who was excellent in Midnight in Paris as Ernest Hemingway, if anybody has watched that. But, um, otherwise, it's just, it's going to be a big, huge, over the top actions, really. You, you really know what's, what's going to be involved with it, but it's, it's a nice to see them trying to take the bourne Uh, universe really into a different direction with different people so it'll be interesting really to see how how they take that somewhere with with a different co-star I think that's the more interesting part about it to me
1: Yeah and I think um, Jeremy Renner's all of of a sudden become quite a breakout star hasn't he because he was also in uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol Avengers yep. and now this. So this this really is quite a big year for Jeremy Renner. I'm really interested in seeing him in this. The other thing I find quite interesting is I think this is the first time now that there will have been a Bourne movie and a Bond movie out in the same year because obviously the original Bourne movies kind of got the Bond producers to up their game uh and make make it a little bit edgier and a bit grittier. So obviously we've got Skyfall in the winter coming out so I think it will be really interesting to see the two characters head to head this year
0: Yeah I must say like, there was a clear effect on Casino Royale uh, once the Bourne trilogy had had so much success so it will be interesting to see which is the more successful although they're not going directly in competition which I think is a wise mm. move for both studios yeah. really
2: And How about your second What other? what's the next film that you're looking forward to this summer Jerry? The next one I'm going to be obvious again uh, The Amazing Spider-Man
0: which is another franchise reboot which uh again is rebooting a franchise with a different main star this time it's pretty unknown uh main star which is andrew garfield uh who's you know young he's english um he's not really been in a great deal of 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 big roles before he was in the social network as eduardo but um i can't remember him being in anything else uh that's really struck me so it'll be interesting to see how they they sort of use this Relatively unknown guy to try and mould the, the franchise again, and uh, there's the wonderful Emma Stone in it as well. Uh, but then there's a big cast. You got Martin Sheen, Reese fans uh, Stanley. Of course, is going to be in there, um, and it's it's going to be again. It's it's taking it away. It's, it's Mark Webbs directing, who I think is is slightly different, really, in in terms of what you're going to get from Spider Man. Uh, I think he, his main his main thing is he, he's done an episode of The Office, which really. Uh, Brought me, brought got my attention, but he, he directed Five Hundred Days of Summer, so it'll be interesting to see how he he goes in a different direction with Spider Man, which is a a completely different beast. I think I think you'll agree.
1: Yeah, and um, I'm quite interested in the fact that they are rebooting it so soon after the original trilogy. Uh, well, I say the original trilogy, the most recent trilogy. So I think that's quite interesting. I do. Met Andrew Garfield's also in Never Let Me Go. I don't know if you've seen that, but he's very interesting in that. I think it's going to be interesting. I. I'm very excited about seeing Martin Sheen back on screen as well. To be honest, I do like Martin Sheen a lot, so it's it's something that I think I'll be going to see definitely.
0: Yeah, Martin Sheen as is, is, is Uncle Ben is, is going to be a, a nice a nice moment for uh, everyone everyone interested in cinema, really. I think.
2: And how about the final film that you're looking forward to seeing this summer?
0: My final one is not well. It's technically, it's summer, if, you, if you're if you being really optimistic about the weather, but it's actually coming out next week. Uh, it's called Jeff, Who Lives at Home. Uh, it stars Jason Siegel and Ed Helms, who's, for those of you who aren't big Office US fans, uh, Ed Helms is the annoying dentist in The Hangover. But it's also got Susan Sarandon. Beyond the, the, those three, there's not going to be a great deal of main characters. It's really centred around those two. Uh, Segel and, and Helms are brothers. Uh, Siegel being the eponymous Jeff, uh, who lives still with Susan Sarandon, and it just looks like it, it's one of those. It's going to be funny, but it's also going to be try and be a bit touching. Um, it's going to be a bit of an adventure, a bit of brotherly love, and really, it just looks quite nice. And it, it reminded me as well of uh, one of my favourite films, which is uh, Lars and the Real Girl. It has that kind of look and atmosphere about it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if it if it lives up to my expectations.
2: How about yourself? James, what are you looking forward to seeing this summer?
1: Okay, my my first choice is I love weird action films with time dimensions to them. This one reminds me a little bit of 12 Monkeys, especially as it has Bruce Willis in it as well. It's Looper. Um, it, it's got uh, Bruce Willis, it's got uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, Emily Blunt, and the uh, idea behind it is Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a looper. He's someone who kills people who have been sent back in time. Uh, So he can't travel forward in time. He's in the present. And in the future, people send fugitives and other kind of lowlifes back in time where he kills them. So they've basically been completely disappeared out of time. Someone gets sent back to him that he lets escape, and it turns out it's his future self. So now his future self, played by Bruce Willis, is trying to hunt him down, uh, but at the same time, if he kills him, uh, then Bruce Willis will end. It's going to have loads of time travel paradoxes, which I absolutely adore trying to work them out myself. It's also got uh, Paul Dano in, who's a really, really good actor. Jeff Daniels. um, It's got a great cast. Really, really interested in this one. So I think this could be the kind of surprise, big, big hit of the summer.
2: How about your, what's up, well, what's up next for you?
1: Uh, my my next choice is Lawless. Now, this is from the director of The Road and The Proposition, uh, John Hillcoat, and it's also written by Nick Cave. Uh, those of you who know Nick Cave's music will know he's a fantastic storyteller in song. Uh, he also did The Proposition... He did a brilliant job on the uh, proposition, in my opinion, and he's come together and built a story set in prohibition times. It's about bootlegging. It's about a gang of brothers who attract the attention of a a local gangster and then the law. Now, the local gangster is played by Gary Oldman. The law enforcer, the corrupt law enforcer, is played by Guy Pearce, and two of the brothers are Tom Hardy and Shire the Beef, uh, who I'm... I'm unsure. The rest of the acting talent in this looks fantastic. I'll be honest, I'm unsure of Shire. However, I'm willing to give him a go because this really reminds me of, it brings up echoes of The Untouchables and also that kind of Wild West law time, not of the Wild West, but when cops could get away with anything, of LA Confidential and the computer game LA Noire. So very, very excited about that one.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm also looking forward to this one. Uh, Tom Hardy in a Western is is a pretty dream combination, really. Cause I like Westerns, I like Tom Hardy, so uh, <laughs> very much looking forward to this one. It's also got um, the girl who played Alice in Wonderland in the Disney remake. I think Mia Wasikowska. I'm not going yeah, to.
1: I was um, going to say I had it written down, and I thought I'm going to leave that out because I'm not sure I pronounce that properly.
0: Yeah, no, well, I'm. I'm sorry, miss. Whatever your name is, if I've if I've offended you with my mispronunciation of your of your name there, but uh, be interesting to see her take on a, a different role. Cause so far, she she's really played quite English characters. She was Jane Eyre as well, if I remember rightly. So yeah, be nice to see her in something uh, completely different.
2: Um, well, on to the films that I'm looking forward to seeing this summer. I've
1: got one more there, sorry. I've okay. got one more. Yeah, I know. Yeah, terrible. Um, I, I, I can't leave this one out. I'm really excited. Uh, did any of you see a trailer back in 2008? Uh, the tagline was In 1945, the Nazis went to the moon. In 2018, they're coming back. It's a film called Iron Sky. It is the biggest Finnish production of all time. It's got a £6 million budget, a lot of which was actually crowdsourced. Um, Fans have donated to get this film made based on the strength of a trailer from four years ago. Um, It it has better CGI than a lot of big-budget Hollywood films. For example, I saw Lockout recently, and the trailer's got a lot better CGI than that. The Nazis... Fearing defeat, they all flew off to the moon, built a swastika-shaped moon base on the dark side of the moon, and they've been waiting for years to come back and invade Earth. And the only thing that stands between us and them is some kind of Sarah Palin US president. It looks cheesy, but it looks as fun as hell, and I cannot wait for Iron Sky.
2: I mean, if you're the Nazis and you're going to build a moon base, don't build one that looks like a swastika, because it's going to stick out. But, I mean... (laughs) That does sound brilliant, I do, even though all these things are most likely, well, 99.99 recurring, a load of rubbish, it is quite fun to read about all these Nazi occultism and moon-based conspiracy theories, so I'm sure if there's a film about yeah. that, I'll be off to see it.
1: Yeah, and I, I just think it's great that they have, completely eschewed the studio system they've raised money themselves mm. um, and it's been four years in the making and whether it is good or bad and, and first rumours are it's not as bad as people feared <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and it's actually some people said it's actually that's quite good it surprised a few people um, the very fact that they have just gone out and made this film completely out of the normal studio system is brilliant and I really hope they make their money back and more on it
2: and onto the films I'm looking forward to seeing this summer. One of them, haven't even seen a trailer for. Ooh. All I've seen is a title. And there's some titles for films, like Snakes on the Plane, that you think, I have to watch that really, because it sounds that stupid. It's got to be good. And the name of this film is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yes. Great choice. <laughs> Um, it, appears, it just sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Most of the most of the appeal of it for me is just that it's got such a ridiculous name. I'm like, well, wow, that has to yeah. be good. There's I no mean, possible all, way a film with that name can't be good.
2: All I've seen that it's going to be co-produced by Tim Burton. It's starring somebody called Benjamin Walker, who I don't really know much about. But of a title like that, I have to see it.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen a trailer for it. My, what the trailer looks actually pretty good. Uh, my one slight disappointment is it seems to focus on Abraham Lincoln being a vampire hunter before he became president. I was hoping for a bit more he's a president by day, a vampire hunter by night, but it seems to be this was the man he was before he became president. That said, trailers can be misleading, so I could be completely wrong there. However, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to find time during the day to go to an empty cinema and see that. Definitely.
2: And a second film. The Dictator, starring Sacha Baron Cohen uh, and Ben Kingsley, as well as Anna Faris, Megan Fox, John C. Reilly, uh, tells the story of a North African dictator from a, a made-up country. Um, and from the trailers I've seen, it does look incredibly funny. I'm a big fan of Sacha Baron Cohen's work, whether it be Ali G, Borat or Bruno, whether he's sort of the co-star or a secondary star in a film as he was in The Ballad of Ricky Bobby with um, Will Ferrell, or recently in Hugo, where he was kind of the comic relief and pretty good in that. Um, So, yeah, it seems like he's a Saddam Hussein-style leader, although a very funny one.
1: Yeah, that I, I love... Uh, Sacha Baron Cohen's uh, character. I loved Borat. Borat's still one of my favourite films in terms of a comedy. And I can watch that over and over again. The trailer looks brilliant. The really great thing about this is it is apparently, and I don't know how much of this is spin and press, but it's apparently based on a novel that Saddam Hussein is claimed to have written. <laughs> um, about, and and our, our, the underst- My understanding is that it was ghost written, and Saddam Hussein had it published in Iraq in his name but it's about a dictator who loves his country so much that he wants to defend it from Western democracy and things like that. So uh, I think it looks fantastic. It's got some great cameos in. Ben Kingsley looks hilarious in it as well. Definitely excited about that one. Yeah, I'm excited about it as
0: well. I'm I'm just going to have to throw that in. I'm I'm really excited about this one too. It's it's a a good choice there,
2: Steve. Ben Kingsley's a great actor. I've not seen him in too many comedy roles myself. But I think he could play quite well off of Sasha Bar Cohen. I think that could work really well. Um,
1: he played himself really well and very funny in The Sopranos. Um, yeah, at series four, I think it was when they all went out to L.A. He he showed great comic timing in those few scenes uh, in The Sopranos. So I've got a lot of hope for him there.
2: Um, finally, um,
1: Mighty Ducks Four.
2: <laughs> I wish.
1: <laughs> if only
2: the day the day that happens I'll be uh, I could die a happy man uh, no the final film I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> or maybe is, just reboot Mighty Ducks yeah, uh, yeah Medi- we've all
0: these franchise reboots let's, let's reboot Mighty Ducks why yeah, has no one rebooted the Mighty Ducks yeah again? get
2: get Keenan from Keenan and Kel and the, the chubby one from Dawson's Creek to, to be coaches <laughs> of a team and bring it all back yeah um, anyway yes Men in Black <laughs> Men, <laughs> Men in Black 3 um out at the end of this month, starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, of course, and this time Josh Brolin, um, who plays a younger version of Tommy Lee Jones, and in the brief clip I've seen in the trailer of Josh Brolin playing a young Tommy Lee Jones, he has got it down to a T. He has yeah, got he, it, he, really looked,
1: good.
2: he looks like he's doing a spot on impression of Agent K
1: yeah i i I hope this is good. I've got my worries about this, just mm. leaving it so long and then coming back for a third but, one i mean i I, cause I love Will Smith. I really liked the first film. I thought the second one was okay. I really hope it's not bad. I hope it is pretty decent they are not
2: they're not great films by any means men in black, but they're always enjoyable. You can always just watch them quite happily and enjoy them and they're never you know they're always decent they're always stand up for repeat watching. So I'm interested to see where they go with this. They're always quite funny as well. Will Smith is a brilliant actor, even in films that he's in that aren't good films, say I Am Legend, which wasn't a great film. Um, Nowhere near as good as the book, of course, but Will Smith was fantastic in it. Yeah, I mean yeah, he, he's, he has a
0: good presence and everything he yeah. does as well. He's always brings a, a real lot of personality to his roles, so he he might carry this film if, if it's not that good. I think. Yeah,
1: I think that's the other reason I want it to be good as well because he doesn't do many films these days, and so we don't get Will Smith on screen very often. So I want to make sure that every time he is on screen, he's in something good because I do think he is a he is a really good actor.
2: Um, as of yet, no song to go along with this Men in Black movie, as with previous ones.
1: Oh, I'm sure you can dust off the uh, microphone and get back in the recording studio um, for this one. It'd be a shame if we yeah. didn't
2: get a rap to go along with it. <laughs>
1: uh, I think this is
0: this is the one that worried me because Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber are in it, if, if I remember off the top of my oh, head. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I, I don't know whether they're just cameoing or, or whether they actually have roles, but I remember hearing that they were going to be in it. So maybe they'll combine and do a song with Will Smith.
2: Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not looking forward to it anymore. Um, <laughs> Yes, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll be back with Triple Bill as usual. This week, we are looking at our favourite film, Speeches. Welcome to Triple Bill, the part of the Fail Critic podcast where we look at the top three in a certain genre or area of film um, and pick our favourites and also ask for suggestions from yourselves, the listeners. Uh, so, James is going to start off by telling us what some of the listeners sent in for this week's topic the top film speeches of all time.
1: Okay, a few that we've had in, uh, I hope they don't cross over when everyone's here, but uh, there's a great speech in M. Uh, which one of the lads on the forum mentioned, which I'm just having a look now to see, uh, it's Lars Dudley. He also mentioned there's a few great ones by characters in 12 Angry Men as well. Um, I do know there is an Al Pacino. Al Pacino has come up a few times, and I'm going to put my hand up now and say I've got an Al Pacino speech, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the same one as we've got here, so I'll, I'll leave that until afterwards.
2: Okay. Any others from the listeners or...
1: Just having a quick look here. Uh, there's a load of Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to do very well there. Um, and yeah, that's about it. We haven't had too many suggestions, actually, that I can spot.
0: There was a shout out for Braveheart as well, I think.
1: Was, oh, yes. No, I think I, think I ignored Braveheart. But no, you're right. Someone <laughs> did say Braveheart. It's a very famous speech, mm. definitely. You'll yeah. Never take our freedom. Yeah, that that one close to,
2: close to making my selection, but didn't in the end. <laughs> um, anyway, shall we start with our own? And James, let's start with yours.
1: Okay, so my first choice uh, is actually from Team America: World Police. I'm going to apologise now for the swearing, uh, but it's quoted, so that's why. Here's <laughs> a clip. I don't know much in this crazy, crazy world, but I do know. That if you don't let us fuck this asshole, we are going to
3: have our dicks and our pussies all covered in shit.
1: Okay, so that is the, uh, there are three types of people in the world speech. Uh, pussies, dicks and assholes. Basically, the story is Team America World Police, if you haven't seen it. It's the from the guys who bought you South Park, but it's marionettes. It's about Gary, a Top Gun actor of uh, Team America. And he's addressing all the nations in the world at a big, big party being held by Kim Jong Il. And in two minutes, he manages to sum up the most accurate portrayal of US foreign policy ever committed to film, in my opinion. Uh, it's simple, it's funny, and it's actually quite beautifully performed by someone who isn't really an actor. So that is my number three choice. How about your number? That's uh, a good choice. <laughs>
2: How about your number two choice?
1: My number two choice is, this is my Al Pacino choice. So my Al Pacino choice, because I think he had to be in here somewhere, comes from Scent of a Woman. Here is a clip.
3: I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is, Mr. Trask. I would show you, but I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too fucking blind. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place.
1: Okay, so that clip uh, was Al Pacino standing up at a disciplinary hearing for Charlie, who is a student at a prestigious school on a scholarship. He's being threatened with expulsion because he is refusing to name these kind of rich students who have pulled a prank, and he knows who it was, and the school are using him for leverage. They're threatening him with expulsion to get names. One of these rich students who who is covering up what's going on is actually a very young Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, in a really good role. Uh, This is Pacino at his angriest before he got a bit hammy uh, as he did in later years. Uh, His fury at the whole system is magnificent. Um, I absolutely, this speech goes on for about six minutes and it is such a beautifully worded speech. Uh, I cannot help but just sometimes stick it on YouTube and sit there and watch it. I, I love Pacino, I love him in this film and I love this speech.
2: How about your number one film speech of all time then, James?
1: My number one film speech of all time. Well, to be honest, how could I not have some Shakespeare in here? Uh, okay, Shakespeare, the, the grandfather of theatrical speeches. And this is Laurence Olivier, one of the best Shakespearean actors of all time, delivering one of my favourite Shakespearean speeches. Here's the clip.
3: We few,
0: we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so base
3: and gentlemen in England now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, while any speaks that fought with us upon St Crispin's Day!
1: <laughs> okay, so that was from Henry V from 1944, the uh, the We Merry Few, We Band of Brothers speech. Um, so stirring. It's a brilliant speech, saying, look, no matter how few of us there are, if there are a few of us to fight this battle, then that means more glory between us all, and everyone will be so jealous that we weren't here to fight this battle. And I remember, just to clarify, last week I said that it would be uh, films with great speeches. This film actually has two absolutely fantastic speeches. It isn't just the uh, we band of brothers speech. It's also got the... Um, cry God for Harry, England and St. George speech as well, about once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. Uh, Basically, Olivier did this as a... It was war effort. It was to raise the morale of this country. He agreed not to be in any films for 18 months to build up the suspense to him appearing on screen, uh, screen. He directed this. It is a brilliant film, uh, filmed in Technicolor in 1944. It's a beautiful rendition of Henry V. And it is just absolutely amazing that in that time of turmoil, he managed to, he, he physically managed to rally this entire country as well as the fake troops he had on screen. So I love his performance in Henry V. I think it's one of the finest screen performances of all time. And this speech epitomises it.
0: Yeah, I, I think you could have also uh, thrown in a couple of different versions of that speech, and they all would have been awesome. You know, any of the Kenneth Branner versions as well, they still would have been
1: brilliant. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. I looked at the Kenneth but and the Kenneth Branner one is beautifully delivered, but I, I felt, it's Olivier. Uh, I've got to stick Olivier in.
2: That's my favourite three. Many people, if you've listened to the first two podcasts... Might have expected me to go for Emilio Estevez in Mighty Ducks 2, Ducks Fly Together. (laughs) But no, I haven't gone for that. But my first choice is a sporting movie. Mike Bassett, England manager. Uh, Mike Bassett, played by Ricky Tomlinson. Here's a clip of the speech.
3: Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more? You'll be a man, my son. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing four, four, fucking two.
2: And, well, for those of you who don't know the story, Mike Bassett is the unlikely choice for England manager after the top names in the world of football turn it down. Uh, sounds like a familiar story to all of us. <laughs> he manages to scrape England to the World Cup in Brazil, but it looks like they're going to go out in a group stage. Mike Bassett has disgraced himself by getting drunk in front of cameras and in front of fans and has held a press conference, many expecting to announce he's going to leave the England job. But he announces he's going to stay and fight on. The press deride him. They just shout abuse. They want rid of him. When Bassett recites the Rudyard Kipling poem, If... And ends it fantastically with England will be playing 4-4-2. Four, four, <laughs> I just wish Mr Capello had done a press conference like that. I I would love it if any England manager... Ain't Roy Hodgson should be playing that to an England team at half-time in a the game. They're not doing so well into rousing because I'll tell you what, it was brilliant. It's an exciting speech. It's a rousing speech um, from a film you might not expect. And for those around the globe who listen to this podcast... If you like football, as well, football spreading to North America and getting more popular, watch this film. It's very funny and parodies football excellently.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we've just missed out on an opportunity to have something similar to Mike Bassett by Harry Redknapp not getting the job there. I think he would have <laughs> been along those lines in his motivational speeches. He definitely would have been uh, a bit sceptical of tactical variation, let's put it <laughs> that way. <laughs> uh,
2: number two was Dirty Harry. And here's the clip. But Ian, this is a
3: .44 magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, bunk?
2: It's probably one of the most iconic film speeches of all time. Honestly, Dirty Harry, a film about a cop played by Clint Eastwood, Harry Callahan, um, the San Francisco police.
1: Yeah, uh, great film, great film. Interestingly, that's the first one we've come up with so far where it's a speech to one man, but I, I, I think that doesn't matter there because it is a it is a beautifully worded speech. There is no filler there at all, I and I, at, Eastwood at his best. I love it.
2: And finally for myself is the speech from Independence Day by President Bill Pullman uh, on the eve of battle. On Independence Day, coincidentally enough, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are off into space to take the shields down uh, on the alien spaceship. Much in a similar way to the way that the Death Star was blown up in Return of the Jedi, where two people go, well, some people go and take the shields down, the rest of them go and blow up the Death Star. Uh, I don't know if there's any reason why they're the same. But yes, the President gives a speech on the day, rouses the troops, and claims it's not just Independence Day for America anymore, but Independence Day for the whole world.
3: We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive.
2: Today, we celebrate our Independence
1: Day. And uh, a second time we've had Independence Day in this triple (laughs) field so far in three (laughs) episodes. Those Mighty Ducks and Independence Day is... Becoming a theme there, but you're right. That 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 speech is actually a really, really good speech. So no, good choice, I think, there, Steve.
2: Um finally, Jerry, let's move on to your three.
0: Okay, um, I tried to choose my films where there was at least uh, one speech, but preferably more than one. My um, first one uh, is coming from Pulp Fiction. There was a lot of candidates, particularly uh, Christopher Walken's speech. So if when I eliminate that one, you're probably going to know what the other one is. Uh, delivered by Samuel L. Jackson,
2: and here's the clip. And the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord
3: when I lay my vengeance upon thee.
0: Well, that was Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Given a pretty career-defining ass-kicking speech, there. Uh, I think the the beauty of it is, I mean, there's a lot of a lot being made of the fact that it's not a real Bible quote; it's a slight adaptation, so uh, it's not quite as authentic as people sometimes claim. But it's his delivery of it, is his attitude, it's the whole, the, the bulging eyes and the fury that comes through as he as he says it. So um, it's just it's a it's a good speech, but it's it's his delivery that makes it so good, really. I think and it really did catapult Samuel Jackson and it, and that kind of style into into the making him now the highest-grossing
1: actor of all time as we found out last week from James. Exactly, yeah. It still raises the hairs on the back of my neck that speech just as it crescendos. It again, it's another one where you've got a scriptwriter who has beautifully put together, has taken care over every single word and crafted something uh, magnificent in just 20, 30 seconds. And that speech will, will go on for years. People will still be talking about that speech in 50 years' time. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was there's so many good lines in the rest of the film, though. I mean, just just thinking through Pulp Fiction, I mean, that is just one of many. It's, it's, I think that's what makes it such a great film was all the, the brilliant speech throughout it. But that yeah. really is the ultimate out of the whole film. My second choice, Again, it was, it was one where I had a couple of choices from the film. Slightly unusual choice. I went for Goodwill Will Hunting. Um, I could have chosen the bar scene where Matt Damon tears a really smug student, a completely new arsehole when he's trying Which to a Which I be, love. Yeah, yeah sorry.
1: <laughs> that
0: is an amazing yeah, scene. All yeah. I really love that. But um, I think it was just topped by uh, Robin Williams' Sean giving, giving Matt Damon's will a bit of, a bit of advice about, about life and experience. And here's the clip.
3: I ask you about what you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap you and watch him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help.
0: So that was uh, Robin Williams teaching some life lessons to Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, who is a very smart kid, but as, as we, we see, he's not, he doesn't know everything. And uh, it's just brilliant the way he suddenly goes from going to quite generalistic things and, and giving him examples of of possible things. And then suddenly he starts talking about, you know, you've never held your, your best friend's head in your lap, watched him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. And it's that sudden pain and vulnerability that goes goes throughout it that, that really makes it such a great speech. And William is a great actor. Um, and throughout it, you've seen Matt Damon's character think that he is, you know, a real font of knowledge for everyone, and, and it, it takes him down a level, but in a, in a way that really appeals to the emotions rather than just being angry and, and deliberately trying to take him down. So uh, it, was just, it was just a fantastic speech. It's really well-delivered and really brilliantly written.
1: That is a great speech. Um, I, I think Robin Williams is by far the best thing in that film, and that moment is when you realise, like you say, Robin Williams is a fantastic serious character actor and it's a shame we don't see more of that side of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the bit about his wife is just heartbreaking in the way he delivers it and and he takes the dialogue which is admittedly it's very good but he really does craft that into something extraordinary and and Mm. the the comedy roles that he does, I don't think he he really gives credit to the fact that he can take these more difficult roles and really, really maximise what he can do with Um, them. I mean, he's he's a fantastic actor. Unfortunately,
2: Unfortunately, Robin Williams seems to be remembered more for stuff like Flubber than he does like Good Will Hunting. Yeah, Um,
1: it's a shame because he has um, had—he's fantastic in Insomnia, one of the earlier Chris Nolan films. He, you know, plays a really scary psycho in that, absolutely brilliantly. He's got—I think he can cover both light and dark, but the dark bit works because I think a little bit of his reputation, and you know that he's a funny guy. So when he does go dark, and when he goes dark serious, it works so well on screen.
0: Yeah. Uh, my final choice, which was my number one choice for great speeches, uh, was a pretty obvious choice. <coughs> I think you were you were coming, you were trying to avoid this one because you knew I was yeah. gonna yeah.
3: throw
0: it out there, <laughs> and that is from a Charlie Chaplin film called The Great Dictator, and in my opinion, it is the, the greatest speech in movie history. And here's a little snippets of it for you, for your enjoyment i'm sorry But i don't want to be an emperor that's not my business i don't want to rule or
3: conquer anyone i should like to help everyone if possible jew gentile black man white we all want to help one another human beings are like that we want to live by each other's happiness not by each other's misery
0: that was charlie chaplin as as the great dictator trying to stir uh, world peace and unity and feelings of love and happiness among people. And really, it's a, just it's a great rant. He takes apart the whole modernization of, of culture and society and the hatred that, that seems to overwhelm everything sometimes. And uh, it's just a fantastically emotional speech. But without being too uh, cheesy, shall we say, it's, it's really a, an appeal to, to improving the world and improving ourselves. And it's just it's just overall, it's just blows me away every time I hear it and it's by far the best speech in movie history in my opinion I mean you can argue that all you want but I'm not going to change my mind on that
2: one <laughs> it, I mean it is fantastic it transcends time I mean you could play it now or 200 years ago and it's probably still relevant
1: yeah and it's I mean, great that you've chosen a speech there by someone who is predominantly known as being a silent actor uh, and it's great you know you you see do you know what if he if he had had his career 20, 30 years later, he would have still had a career. Yeah, you know, it wasn't. He wasn't just a silent man.
0: Yeah, and I think that was the first real big non-silent film that he did as well. And it was, it wasn't appreciated as much at the time as it is perhaps now. But it's just it, his performance all the way through is is fantastic. And I mean, it is satirizing the Nazis and fascism and dictatorships. And and it, as you say, it becomes timeless because we see the, the same things repeated in dictatorships and nasty regimes all all across the world throughout the last century and into into today but it's just fantastic to switch from the sort of slapstick roles that he was doing in silent films to being able to 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 deliver a speech like that it's just it's it's fantastic he really was a great actor that you, you you don't see that many aspects to people's characters nowadays i mean you won't get someone who's a great slapstick comic comic actor like um I don't know. Jim Carrey is the only one that springs to mind that, that does that kind of thing and can do serious roles. I mean, mm. other than Robin Williams and Jim Carrey,
1: you don't really get anybody who bridges those two worlds. You couldn't imagine Adam Sandler in The Great Dictator, could you? No.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, i saying that I've seen Adam Sandler do a couple of serious roles, and he's not been too bad, but I doubt he could do anything of that magnitude.
1: No. Mm. Okay, uh, John Lovitz couldn't imagine John Lovitz <laughs> doing that.
2: <laughs> um, well. None of us went for Al Pacino's inches speech from any given Sunday. I know,
1: that, that was my other owl choice, to be honest, and that was also mentioned on the forum. when um, I, I watched it earlier just to confirm my views. And it is a fantastic speech, but I couldn't have two Al Pacinos in my top I, three. I think it would just
2: been. I think a lot of the time we do these lists, us three try not to be too obvious, and that one would have been too obvious. Yeah. I yeah, think, yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> was, was to up alone last week. This, this week we were trying to avoid any given. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a really great speech, and I think particularly in a sporting context, there's there's no other sporting movies that have produced a speech like that. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that's quite reached that that level.
2: Um, well, before we end part two, then James, you should want to tell the listeners what um what the subject is for next week's triple bill.
1: Okay, yeah, I've just realised, I've not even told you guys yet, have I? So this is this is a surprise to everyone. Um, so, yeah, next week's Triple Bill, I've decided we are going to come up with our favourite films with brilliant soundtracks, okay? They need to be absolutely cracking soundtracks, not just a good theme song, but quality soundtracks all the way through. So next week, Triple Bill, fantastic soundtracks.
2: And just quickly, where can the listeners send or post us their suggestions if they've got any.
1: Okay, you can uh, tweet them to me at, at the Failed Critic, or just use the hashtag FailedCritic hashtag on Twitter and I'll see them there. You can uh, post them in our new official thread on the Football 365 forum or you can leave comments after where you've downloaded this pod on our Libsyn page.
2: Okay, well that's it for part two. In part three, we'll be back with... The Good, The Bad, or The Ugly, where we take a look at some of the films we've been watching this week. We're into the final furlong of this week's podcast now. Um, as I said, called The Good, The Bad, or The Ugly. A bit of a change to previously, but the format's still the same. We're going to go through some of the films that we have watched this week and give them a bit of a review for you. Uh, James has been to a film festival this week, so we'll let him start with what he's been watching there um, and which film festival it was.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Steve. I went to Sundance London uh, last weekend. It was. It took place at the cine World at O2. Robert Redford was there. I didn't see him, though. Uh, Prince Charles was there uh, introducing his new ecological film that he's produced. I, however, went on a Sunday morning uh, to see Safety Not Guaranteed. Firstly, Sundance London, a little bit soulless, I'll be honest. It felt like I was just going to a cinema on a Sunday morning. There wasn't too much... Atmosphere about it at all. It might just be because all the crazy festival people don't bother to go and watch films on a Sunday morning. Uh, maybe I was the fool. I don't know. However, because it was a film festival audience, people respected the film. People turned their phone off. People didn't talk during the film. So, in that sense, it was great. We also had a Q&A with the director afterwards, which was brilliant. But the film I went to see was Safety Not Guaranteed. It's the debut feature from uh, director Colin Trevorrow and writer Derek Connolly, stars Aubrey Plaza, uh, who you might know from Parks and Rec or uh, Scott Pilgrim versus The World. She's the sarcastic girl who works in the record store there. It stars Mark Duplass, who's in The League, and also wrote and directed Jeff Who Lives at Home, which is out this week. And it also stars Jake Johnson, who is the nice guy Nick from the sitcom New Girl, which people might have seen recently as well. It's based on a, a real advert, which was uh, placed in america and which got fame on the internet in about 2005 the advert reads wanted someone to go back in time with me this is not a joke you'll get paid after we get back must bring your own weapons safety not guaranteed i have only done this once before okay that was a real advert that was placed and it inspired the writer to write this film now Aubrey plaza is uh, she She's part of a team. She plays a character called Darius, who um, goes from a magazine out to small-town America to investigate the ad and to try and get an interview with Kenneth, who is the guy who play, uh, plays the ad. He's played by Mark Duplass. It's a really, really sweet story. For such a time uh science science-fiction-based setup, there isn't actually a lot of science fiction going on here. There's a lot of human drama, a lot of comedy. Uh, it's very, very funny. Duplass and Plaza's... Uh, chemistry really, really holds it together. There's a scene where they're uh, at, sat next to a campfire, and he just earnestly sings a song. It's not played for laughs at all. It's quite an earnest scene, but their chemistry pulls that scene together. It doesn't feel schmaltzy, and you believe them. And having, you know, speaking to the director afterwards, he was saying that it has a very 1980s amblin movie film it feels like it will it definitely feels like it was inspired by the 80s it has the hope uh and almost the naivety of a lot of those films that were around in the 80s and the version i saw actually had a changed ending which the director said was based entirely on how he would have wanted the film to end had he watched it as a kid in the 80s he changed he changed the ending uh, based on that. And it, it really works. It's got a lovely soundtrack, some lovely performances, really funny. I really, really hope people go and watch this later on this year. It was made for less than a million dollars, which if you think, you know, you for one John Carter of Mars, you could get 250 of these films. And I'd rather have 250 of these small gems. It's a beautiful, beautiful film, but it will probably only be in your local art cinema for about five days sometime in September. So when it <clears> does get there, please go and watch it because cinema like this really, really needs to be supported. When you say that the ending was changed, do
0: you mean that changed from real life or that he, they recorded one and then he didn't like it and changed it completely to a different ending? They,
1: they, entered because it was originally played at proper Sundance in January and they got into that Sundance festival based on one ending. Um, and about a week before it was due to show at Sundance, Utah, they, the director thought, no, I'm going to put my own money in. I'm going to re- go out and film another ending. And so he went and he's filmed a different ending and they put it on there. And that got, and it got a standing ovation at Sundance uh, in Utah. It got applause when I saw it. But yeah, he went and he wasn't happy with the original ending. He's gone and filmed a different one. Good stuff. Well, it's
0: nice that people really care enough about the films to realise that they need to...
1: Yeah, uh, and he did at, at the Q and A. He described the original ending to Improved us, and it. I, th- I think the new ending works better. Definitely.
0: Did he? Did he discuss the original ending at all? Yeah, like, he discussed
1: you know the original called? ending. Yeah. He actually he said the original ending worked in in certain ways, and it did, uh, but it didn't work for other characters. <coughs> Ultimately, I think he's changed it because he thought of himself as a fan watching this type of movie, how would I actually, as a fan, want it to end? And so he ha- he has made it a little bit for the audience, but not as the result of endless test screening and focus groups and a committee getting involved. It is just one creative voice going, do you know what? I think it will work. I-, I was wrong. I think it will work better like this, which I think is only to be applauded. Yeah, it's
0: commendable, because I think a lot of people as well forget about the experience of your average person sat in the cinema watching a film, You know, it's all great to to have all these esoteric things that focus groups will tell you is brilliant. But a lot of the time, I think that the experience of the viewer just sat in a cinema watching it
1: is is sort of secondary to what they often want to do in the creative process. So I'd also say that the the end that it has got is more ambiguous than the original one as well. So it isn't just like... He hasn't changed it to type a load of loose ends. In fact, he probably asks more questions with it. But it was... I think it works so much better with the feel of that film.
0: Uh I'll be sure to check it out. It it sounds really interesting. I mean that ad on its own is just Yeah. One of the most intriguing things you can
2: Any other films that you've been watching yeah, this
1: week? Um I watched one this week. Uh I finally worked out how to get um uh, video on demand on American sites to work for myself. So I was quite happy with that. So I could uh watch God Bless America, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. I just wanted to say that I also enjoyed it. It was very dark. Um and in fact, the opening few minutes I realised my wife would never be able to watch this film. Um simply because, you know, there's a fantasy that goes on in the first few minutes which if you're not going to buy into it there and then, you're not going to enjoy this film. But as someone who has, I'll be honest, fantasised about shooting people in the face for using their phone in the cinema, I was a big fan of this film. So I really, really enjoyed God Bless America. Uh, so I've only had, i only got one other film I want to talk about this week. And I'm not even sure I want to talk about it, to be honest. <laughs> but I was at my sister's house on Saturday morning and there was a load of girls getting ready for a wedding. Um, and someone put Sex and the City, the movie on. I've never seen one it. or
2: two. Uh,
1: the first one, oh, okay, it's probably the so... best out of the two. Yeah, I've never I've never
2: seen them. I've never seen them. i
1: I know I've heard two is horrendous. Even my wife will say that two is a horrendous racist mess. However, that was the one that
0: brought out a big feminist outcry, wasn't it? The
1: second one, it was, was, yeah, oh, yeah. But that I'll be honest. I think I was the only one actually paying attention to this. It was quite girly background noise for everyone else. But I thought, no, as my in my new role as a, a critical uh, voice in the cinema world, I, I need to pay a little bit of attention to this. I'll be honest, I quite enjoyed the original TV series. I wouldn't search it out, but I'd watch it if it was on. It was on HBO, and there was, even if you didn't like it that much, you could tell it was, it had a creative vision. It had It had a definite voice. This film... Has no artistic vision, uh, basically no artistic merit whatsoever. Carrie Bradshaw, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, gets jilted again and spends half the movie as if someone has died. I, I, it, actually no, half the movie as if someone has massacred her entire family. At one point, she goes away on honey on the honeymoon anyway. Um, and it's in Mexico, and she's got the shutters down in her room, it's like the end of Apocalypse Now. Well, love can you know, feel we, like
2: a massacre some kind, sometimes, James.
1: It, it can <laughs> do, and maybe I'm a bit harsh on Carrie Bradshaw. I just cannot understand how any woman would aspire to be Carrie Bradshaw. She is the most self-obsessed, horrible woman I have ever seen depicted. Some of the other characters are okay. Uh, Kim Cattralla's Samantha has some good lines, and pretty much is the mo the only positive thing of this film. However, Carrie Bradshaw, who is the woman that all these women are meant to aspire to, uh, they want to be... Ga- she is nasty. She uh, At one point, they're feeding her pudding through a spoon. She's pathetic. Uh, she says, will I ever laugh again? And says it with a straight face, and it's not said in jest. It, it's so melodramatic. It's like a Spanish soap opera. I was so annoyed. It took itself so seriously, and it... Completely went against the spirit of the original TV series. Um, you know, she gets an assist- I don't know why this woman needs an assistant in the first place. She, she buys shoes and she mopes around her apartment. She gets an assistant at one point. She says, "Saint Louise, you brought me back to life." La- oh, it's sickening. It, there is racism in this. There is faux feminism, which is actually setting back the sisterhood by years. And to top it all off, it is longer than Goodfellas. Okay, it is two and a half hours long. I don't know how I survived, like shooting myself. I absolutely loathe this film and everything it stands for.
2: Wow.
0: <laughs> Jerry, what have you
2: been watching this week?
0: Uh, thankfully, not Sex and the City. I'd like to like to echo James's sentiments about how horrible and horrendous I find Carrie Bradshaw, and in fact, the whole series. I don't, I don't have any redeeming qualities to, to find in that either. I, I'm, I'm even more extreme than you. I think the whole thing is just appalling. Anyway, my films, uh, the good film that I watched this week uh, was a bit of an unusual one. It was called Breathing, or Atmen in its original language. It was an Austrian film. Um, tells the story of a 19-year-old Austrian uh, lad called Roman. He spent his whole life in institutions because his mother abandoned him when he was a baby. And... When we meet him, these in the juvenile detention centre um, for accidentally killing uh, someone in one of the previous institutions he was in. Uh, and he's he's waiting on a parole hearing to see if he can get released and he needs a job to try and help his chances of, of being released. And they let him out on, on day release to go and work, um, which is a quite unusual situation, but it's obviously pretty normal in, in Austria. Um, and he, he's looking around and it starts off and he's, you know, he's having failed attempts at finding employment he's very reluctant about the whole thing, but he, he, they advise him that he needs to, to find a job. And he spots an ad in the paper for an Undertaker's uh, and he decides to try it. And it goes on from there. And it's just, it was a fantastic film. I absolutely loved it, actually. The more I think about it, the better it gets. Um, the guy who played Roman was just superb. And he really managed to capture how troubled and conflicted the character was without being showy or, Schmaltzy or over the top about it. It wasn't in your face. It was just a very quiet sort of expressions were 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 showing everything that you needed to without having to to be melodramatic. And I watched Shame this week, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And this was really it was a great lesson in how to portray someone who was brooding and and difficult and doesn't say much. And, and I thought Shame sort of failed in that respect, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the film was it was quite quiet. It was very interesting. Uh, without being too heavy on dialogue it was it was a bit lingering in in parts, but generally it was really well paced um it kept moving along the story was was really nice. The characters that you meet they developed really nicely over, especially roman who you really you really were rooting for him despite him perhaps at the start being potentially a, a dislikable character because he's in for for manslaughter so you you're not expecting to like him and really, the most interesting parts were when he was Starting his job and learning, learning his trade, he was, you know, really just confronted by death and corpses and cadavers, and it doesn't really hold back in showing you corpses. So if you have a real fear of dead people, it's not the not the attitude for you, uh, not the uh, the film for you if you've got that attitude. But um, there was a real contrast between the way that his coworkers saw these bodies and how normal and everyday it was, and how they just dealt with it matter-of-factly, and and him. Being really shocked by them and and sort of being reluctant to to get involved with them and get hands on with them, uh, and it was really well done. It was really tasteful. It wasn't done for shock value or or anything else. It wasn't gaudy. It was just really nice and tasteful and thought provoking, and it made you really think about how you know death really is quite quite normal, and we we do ignore it as a society and, and as people. We we don't really think about all the things that are involved when someone dies and when undertakers get involved. And it, it was really good at drawing that out, but also that was sort of a sideline because you really were concerned about, about the main character and about how he, <laughs> how he developed overall. And, you know, it was, it was same Vienna. And I watched the third man, uh, not too long ago. So it was a very different portrayal of Vienna to, uh, the third man's version, but it was, it was nicely shot. It was, some of it was a bit lingering and, and empty, and there was a lot of empty spaces and, you know, empty silences and stuff, but they, he managed to, to portray everything that he needed to without necessarily speaking, which was a real welcome change when I think sometimes there's, there's an over-reliance on dialogue. It was just really well acted. The director, um, that was his first film, and I think he wrote it as well, a guy called Karl Markovich. Um, you, you, you would never tell it was his first time. He, he, he seemed really experienced and gave that impression. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what else he, he produces because he directed his main character brilliantly, directed the whole thing brilliantly, uh, and it was brilliant. But um, I also want to have a, a bit of a a little uh, love song for independent cinemas now because we I went and it sort of restored my faith in cinema because I went to the showroom in Sheffield, um, which was a completely different experience to what you usually get in a, a multiplex. Um, and it was just fantastic. We went in, um, we had a drink and, the, and some food in a little cafe bar uh, it was a nice, relaxed atmosphere. It wasn't commercialising in your face like a multiplex. There was REM and the Beatles on at an appropriate level in the background, which is, is something that you don't usually get in cinemas. It's usually very loud. Uh, and then we just wandered through. The, the seats were pre-booked when you when you bought them, uh, and they told you where, how long the trailers were, so you could you could skip over um, all the, the the stuff that you don't care about and just sit in your seats and not be worried about getting in there to make sure you get a good view. Uh, you could take drinks in. They've got a really good selection of beers. There was like seven or eight beers and local ales. They had Star prama, and they had all sorts of continental lagers So and wine and stuff and spirits. And it's just it's a much better way to watch your films than your standard multiplex experience, really. And we talked about um, The Hobbit and how they needed to increase the gap between your cinematic experience and your home experience in order to keep people coming to the cinema. But that really is, is how to do it, in my opinion, rather than technology. It's make it a really nice experience. It was a whole, um, it was a whole day out really. We went and had food. You could eat, you could drink, you could talk, and it, it was a nice atmosphere to be there all for a long time, other than than just you watching your film. So it was just fantastic. So I mean, just a bit of a call to people to support your local independent cinema if you have one, uh, and anybody who's near the showroom. I know it's one of the best in the UK. It wins all sorts of awards, but go, go there and go and see it. And You'll get to see films that aren't necessarily out at your multiplexes and it was cheaper than, your, than the
1: multiplex ticket as well so not only was it much much better but it cost me less money so I, I totally had a really agree. good time totally agree I just want to give a quick kind of plug actually to my local art cinema because not only have I been to see some brilliant films there recently they're called Phoenix Square in Leicester again Uh, Great selection of beers, you can take your beers in, staff are friendly, staff are knowledgeable about about films as well. Uh, Really nice atmosphere. But also they uh, retweeted about our podcast to 3,000 of their followers uh, this week as well. So thank you very much, Phoenix Square in Leicester. Uh, These places are precious. Please don't let independent cinemas go to the wall. Uh, Please go and watch films there because they are so important. I totally agree. Yeah, it was it was just fantastic. It really like, restored my faith in cinema, as I say. It
0: really reminded me of what it should be like and, and not the sort of horrible multiplex experience that you sometimes have. And that happened with the Avengers when there was people rustling and stuff. It was just yeah. really nice to have something completely different. But the film, not to take away anything from the film, the film was fantastic. Really big recommendation to try and find it, seek it out if you can get it on an independent cinema or look out for it when it's released on DVD. It won prizes, I think it won, Best film during Directors Week at Cannes Uh, won a prize at Sarajevo Film Festival. It's quite decorated, but it's just brilliant. (coughs) And my not so good film this week, slightly against what many people have been saying, is Shame, um, which I thought was good and it had a lot of elements in it that that really had the makings of a really good film in there, but it didn't quite do it. And um, it was interesting. Because I wanted to find out what was happening, and I wanted to know what 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 was the the reason why these characters were like they are and and why they were behaving in that way and and, and what they were going to do next. But I didn't really empathise much with them, um, and you know it was it was just a bit empty really. And he, it was it was nice. It was well shot. Um, McQueen is is a real. I mean, he is an artist. He's, he's transferred from being an artist to being a filmmaker, and I really enjoyed *Hunger*, which was his his debut film. Uh, and it's really nice to look at. And, you know, I think some of the shots, as much as he does really good single-take shots, other times he it was just too much that he, he really let these empty spaces drag on and, and slowed the film down a bit too much. And it, it, it just felt disjointed and, and a bit too lingering. And it, it took away from what could have been a very good performance. And a lot was made of Fastbender's performance in that. But I, I thought he was... He was quite weak by his standards, really. I mean, he 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 wasn't allowed to really get the full effect of what it should have been because of the direction. I feel. I mean, I think it was uh, it was a good film and it had some moments which were brilliant, but it was just a bit too flawed to be really good. And then having seen Breathing, um, that was a similar kind of effect in that it was it's quite brooding. The main character was often silent and trying to express things through facial expressions and and through his, what he was doing, and and it was just so much so much of a better way of doing the exact same thing than shame was it was it was quite shocking really and I mean it was a good film as I say but I, I there was something lacking in it that that really stopped it from from being too great and I can't see why it got so many nominations and and so much critical praise recently I mean I don't know if anybody else has seen it
1: I really I'll be honest I really liked it I saw it a couple of months ago um, I don't know if it helped and do you know what, I, I'd love this now after my Sundance experience and actually I saw Shame where there was a live Q&A afterwards because it was a preview screening Um, I'd love it, when going to the cinema I'd love to have a Q&A with the director after every film, it really helps me <laughs> kind of file my thoughts away and answer some questions that I did have about the film I don't know if that's why I liked it more because I got to hear Steve McQueen and the writer Abby Morgan talk about their process in making that film for about half an hour afterwards. And it helped me because I, I was a little bit like you in the sense that I did find that sometimes the slower scenes did hold, hold the film back. Um, it didn't move on enough. And I'm, I'm a narrative junkie. I love story full stop, no matter how badly it's told. Usually I, I like stuff to happen and me and for me to want to know what's going to happen. Um, but in a way, having heard Steve McQueen talk about the film, and think, and I've thought about the film quite a lot since I saw it, it the film in itself is almost a kind of psychological disorder. As such, um, there are no answers. Um, you, it's very difficult to sympathise with the character because you know the the main character has quite an unsy- You think it's almost quite an unsympathetic disorder because we don't understand it. Because you think, oh, sex addiction. Well, do you know what? If you look like Michael Fassbender, you're going to get loads of sex anyway, let's be honest. And I think my my only real criticism of it was that a sex addict who looks like that, and let's be honest, you know, he's a very, very good-looking man, and you see that he's pretty well-endowed as well uh, in the film. Do you know what? If he's, If he is a sex addict, he's not going to have a lot of problem fulfilling that addiction is he women are going to fall at his feet basically i think it would have been a bit more interesting if it had shown a sex addict who has less chance with you know i, I think that my only criticism would be it would have been a more interesting film with a less uh traditionally good-looking bloke in the main role who would have yeah you know, the fact is he had easy to be honest he had access to women and he had a lot of money he could fulfill his addiction quite easily. Um, and yet it still kind of destroyed his life almost. I think it just would have been a bit more interesting with someone less good-looking. I'd also like to say, I thought Carrie Mulligan was excellent in this role as well, but um, a lot of people disagree with me on that. Maybe that's just because I love Carrie Mulligan too much. Yeah, you know, that, I, thought I thought she was a bit weak in
0: it, really. I thought her accent was all over the place as well, which
1: was a bit... I think that took away from it. Too yeah. Although... what. One of my favourite uh, scenes and shots of cinema this year is the um, the close up on her, the long shot close up on her singing uh, "New York, New York" for about three and a half minutes. That that is a beautifully shot scene. And it reminded me a little bit of um, Sinead O'Connor's "Nothing Compares to You" in the sense you know you just you see all the emotion in her face. It's just a close up on a face singing an entire song, and you don't see in today's kind of films. Film world, film culture—you don't see directors who've got the patience to hold a shot for four minutes. Uh, and it, I, at least in that sense, I think uh, McQueen is to be uh, applauded for having the bravery to do that.
0: Yeah, I really—he did *Hunger*, which I really, really enjoyed. And yeah. I think that was sixteen, sixteen minutes and something. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculously, it's ridiculously shot. long shot. Yeah. <laughs> one of the best, best scenes that I've, I've seen. But I think in this, I could see. From his previous work, what he was trying to do, and and you know, I think the emptiness of it was trying to say something about their lives and how empty their lives were. But really, it just it just didn't quite do anything for me. It was it was a good film, but I think it was it was far too flawed to really do anything more than that for me.
2: Anyway, uh, we need to start wrapping things up now. So, James, do you just want to tell the listeners what's in store next week and where they can get in touch with us, etc.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, so next week, we are going to be reviewing Dark Shadows, the new Tim Burton, Johnny Depp, and I'm pretty sure Helena Bonham Carton's going to show up somewhere well, in that. I don't film. think she's actually uh, in it this I imagine he's going to have a soundtrack by Danny Elfman as well. Yeah, let, let's see if he's going to surprise us at all. But that's what we will be reviewing. Sorry, what was that, Steve? I
2: don't think Helena Bonham Carter's in this Tim Burton film with Johnny Depp. No way. Um, I don't think she's in it. And from what I've seen on the trailer, the soundtrack sounds bloody brilliant.
1: Yeah, there's a very good 70s (laughs) soundtrack. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, So, yeah, we're going to be reviewing Dark Shadows. We are, and talking of soundtracks... We're going to be talking about our three favourite films with absolutely fantastic soundtracks. You can find us, uh, we've got a blog at thefailedcritic.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Twitter at at thefailedcritic or use the hashtag, hashtag failedcritic. Or we are also available on failedcritic.libsyn.com. So I believe you've also got something you want to plug. I think we've got a plug for the first time ever here, Steve.
2: Well. Actually, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna buy it this week and then review it and then do it properly next week, so.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com
2: <laughs> Seeing as just thinking about it, I don't really know too much about it, but I will I because will, I didn't see any films this week, I will actually be watching a few next week and reviewing them. Excellent.
0: I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to disappoint you, Steve. Helena Bottom Car is in this film. Is she? <laughs> I didn't yeah. see her in the trailer. <laughs> I bloody knew it. I knew she would well, be. She might not be in the trailer, but she's definitely on the build cast. Oh, <laughs> is that...
2: Oh, it was yeah, too like... predictable, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> and I am going to try and watch Pan's Labyrinth this week. Um I'm I'm determined to finally open that cellophane for you, well, Jerry. The fact that you watched Sex in the City before Pan's Labyrinth, I think, is uh, very revealing.
2: Yeah, well, there's yeah. a
1: special circle of hell for people like me. We might yeah,
2: be actively seeking yeah. a replacement for you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at least I didn't like Sex in the City. Yeah. That would have been more. Yeah. Worrying. Well, at
2: least you're telling Stop. us you didn't like Sex in the City <laughs> <laughs> to try and retain some credibility.
1: Exactly, <laughs> I've got so little. Of yeah.
2: Se- secretly, you loved it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there, uh, to be fair, there were boobs in it, wow. so uh, that was good. And <laughs> also, I just want to say, I can't believe. None of us mentioned The Raid. Um, I- I'm so excited about The Raid. I can't believe I forgot it. I'm chucking out at, at the end. It's an uh, Indonesian uh, film about people, uh, about a squat team going into a block of flats and they have to fight their way out through 30 floors of mayhem. Looks like the best action film since Hardboard. I just, you know, in terms of credibility, if we hadn't mentioned that in our summer preview, our credibility would have been completely shot. Well,
2: yeah. that's it for this week then. Um, <laughs> We'll be back next week, same time, same place.
1: Yep, well, I'll say goodbye. Yeah, and goodbye from me. This really is quite a big year for Jeremy Renner. I'm really interested in seeing him in this. The other thing I find quite interesting is I think this is the first time now that there will have been a Bourne movie and a Bond movie out in the same year because obviously the original Bourne movies kind of got the Bond producers to up their game uh, and make, make it a little bit edgier and a bit grittier. So obviously we've got Skyfall in the winter coming out. So I think it will be really interesting to see the two characters head-to-head this year. Yeah, uh,
0: I must say, like there was a clear effect on Casino Royale uh, once the Bond trilogy had, had had so much success. So it'll be interesting to see which is the more successful, though they're not going directly in competition, which I think is a wise mm-hmm. move for both studios, yeah. really.
2: And how about your second? What other? What's the next film that you're looking forward to this summer, Jerry?
0: Next one, I'm going to be obvious again: uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, which is another franchise reboot, which uh, again is rebooting a franchise with a different main star. It's pretty unknown, uh, main star which is Andrew Garfield, uh, who's you know young, he's English, Um he's not really been in a great deal of, of, of big roles before. He was in the social network as Eduardo, but um, I can't remember him being in anything else, uh, that's really struck me. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they sort of use this relatively unknown guy to try and mold the, the franchise again. And uh, there's the wonderful Emma Stone in it as well. Uh, but then there's a big cast. You have got Martin Sheen, Marisa Fans, uh, Stanley. Of course, is going to be in there, um, and it's it's going to be again. It's it's taking it away. It's, it's Mark Webbs directing, who I think is is slightly different, really, in in terms of what you're going to get from Spider Man. Uh, I think he, his main his main thing is he, he's done an episode of The Office, which really uh, brought me. got my attention, but he he directed 500 Days of Summer, so it'll be interesting to see how he he goes in a different direction with Spider-Man, which is a a completely different beast, I think. I think you'll agree.
1: Yeah, and um, I'm quite interested in the fact that they are rebooting it so soon after the original trilogy. Uh, Well, I say the original trilogy, the most recent trilogy. So I think that's quite interesting. I do met Andrew Garfield's also in Never Let Me Go. I don't know if you've seen that, but he's very interesting in that. I think it's going to be interesting. i I'm very excited about seeing Martin Sheen back on screen as well. To be honest, I do like Martin Sheen a lot, so it's it's something that I think I'll be going to see definitely.
0: Yeah, Martin Sheen as as Uncle Ben is is going to be uh, a nice a nice moment for uh, everyone everyone interested in cinema, really. I think.
2: And how about the final film that you're looking forward to seeing this summer?
0: My final one is not well. It's technically, it's summer, if, you, if you're if you being really optimistic about the weather, but it's actually coming out next week. Uh, it's called Jeff Who Lives at Home. Uh, it stars Jason Siegel and Ed Helms, who's, for those of you who aren't big Office US fans, uh, Ed Helms is the annoying dentist in The Hangover. But it's also got Susan Sarandon. Beyond the, the, those three, there's not going to be a great deal of main characters. It's really centred around those two. Uh, Segel and, and Helms are brothers. Uh, Siegel being the eponymous Jeff, uh, who lives still with Susan Sarandon. And it just looks like it's one of those It's going to be funny, but it's also going to be try and be a bit touching. Um, It's going to be a bit of an adventure, a bit of brotherly love. And really, it just looks quite nice. And it it reminded me as well of uh, one of my favourite films, which is uh, Lars and the Real Girl. It has that kind of look and atmosphere about it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if if it lives up to my
1: expectations.
2: How about yourself? James, what are you looking forward to seeing this summer?
1: Okay, my my first choice is I love weird action films with time dimensions to them. This one reminds me a little bit of 12 Monkeys, especially as it has Bruce Willis in it as well. It's Looper. Um, It's got uh, Bruce Willis, it's got uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, Emily Blunt, and the uh, idea behind it is... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a looper. He's someone who kills people who have been sent back in time. Uh, so he can't travel forward in time. He's in the present. And in the future, people send fugitives and other kind of low lives back in time where he kills them. So they've basically been completely disappeared out of time. Someone gets sent back to him that he lets escape. And it turns out it's his future self. So now his future self played by Bruce Willis is trying to hunt him down. uh, But at the same time, if he kills him, uh, then Bruce Willis will end. It's going to have loads of time travel paradoxes, which I absolutely adore trying to work them out myself. It's also got a Paul Dano in, who's really, really good actor. Jeff Daniels. um, It's got a great cast. Really, really interested in this one. So I think this could be the, kind of surprise big, big hit of the summer.
2: How about your, what's up, well, what's up next for you? Uh,
1: my my next choice is Lawless. Now, this is from the director of The Road and The Proposition, uh, John Hillcote, and it's also written by Nick Cave. Uh, those of you who know Nick Cave's music will know he's a fantastic storyteller in song. Uh, he also did The Proposition, He did a brilliant job on the uh, proposition, in my opinion, and he's come together and built a story set in prohibition times. It's about bootlegging. It's about a gang of brothers who attract the attention of a a local gangster and then the law. Now, the local gangster is played by Gary Oldman. The law enforcer, the corrupt law enforcer, is played by Guy Pearce, and two of the brothers are Tom Hardy and Shire the Beef, uh, who I'm... I'm unsure. The rest of the acting talent in this looks fantastic. I'll be honest, I'm unsure of Shire. However, I'm willing to give him a go because this really reminds me of, it brings up echoes of The Untouchables and also that kind of Wild West law time, not of the Wild West, but when cops could get away with anything, of LA Confidential and the computer game LA Noir. So very, very excited about that one.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm also looking forward to this one. Uh, Tom Hardy in a western is is a pretty dream combination, really. Cause I like westerns. I like Tom Hardy, so uh, <laughs> very much looking forward to this one. It's also got um, the girl who played Alice in Wonderland in the Disney remake. I think Mia Wasikowska. I'm not going. Yeah, to...
1: I was um, going to say uh, I not, had it written down, and I thought I'm going to leave that out because I'm not sure I pronounce that properly.
0: Yeah, no, well, I'm. I'm sorry, miss. Whatever your name is, if I've if I've offended you with my mispronunciation of your of your name there, but uh, be interesting to see her take on a, a different role. Cause so far, she's she's really played quite English characters. She was Jane Eyre as well, if I remember rightly. So
3: yeah,
0: be nice to see her in something uh, completely different.
2: Um, well, on to the films that I'm looking forward to seeing this summer. I, I've
1: got one more <coughs> there, sorry. I've okay. got one more. Yeah, no, just, yeah <laughs> um, I know. Yeah, terrible. I can't leave this one out. I'm really excited. Uh, did any of you see a trailer back in 2008? Uh, the tagline was In 1945, the Nazis went to the moon. In 2018, they're coming back. It's a film called Iron Sky. It is the biggest Finnish production of all time. It's got a £6 million budget, a lot of which was actually crowdsourced. Um, fans have donated to get this film made based on the strength of a trailer from four years ago. Um, it, look, it has better CGI than a lot of big-budget Hollywood films. For example, I saw Lockout recently, and the trailer's got a lot better CGI than that. The Nazis... Fearing defeat, they all flew off to the moon, built a swastika-shaped moon base on the dark side of the moon, and they've been waiting for years to come back and invade Earth, and the only thing that stands between us and them is some kind of Sarah Palin US president. It looks cheesy, but it looks as fun as hell, and I cannot wait for Iron Sky.
2: I mean, if you're the Nazis and you're going to build a moon base, don't build one that looks like a swastika, because it's going to stick out. But, I mean... (laughs) That does sound brilliant. I do, even though all these things are most likely, well, 99.99 recurring, a load of rubbish, it is quite fun to read about all these Nazi occultism and moon base conspiracy theories. So I'm sure there's a film about yeah. that. I'll be off to see it.
1: Yeah, and I, I just think it's great that they have completely eschewed the studio system they've raised money themselves mm. um and it's been four years in the making and whether it is good or bad and and first rumors are it's not as bad as people feared um, <laughs> uh, but and it's actually some people said it's actually that's quite good it surprised a few people um, the very fact that they have just gone out and made this film completely out of the normal studio system is brilliant and i really hope they make their money back and more on it
2: and onto the films I'm looking forward to seeing this summer. One of them, haven't even seen a trailer for. Ooh. All I've seen is a title. And there's some titles for films, like Snakes on the Plane, that you think, I have to watch that really, because it sounds that stupid. It's got to be good. And the name of this film is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter.
0: Yes. Great choice.
2: <laughs> Um, it, appears, it just sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Most of the most of the appeal of it for me is just that it's got such a ridiculous name. I'm like, well, wow, that has to yeah. be good. There's no I mean, possible all, way a film with that name can't be good.
2: All I've seen that it's going to be co-produced by Tim Burton. It's starring somebody called Benjamin Walker, who I don't really know much about. But of a title like that, I have to see it.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen a trailer for it. My what the trailer looks actually pretty good. Uh, my one slight disappointment is it seems to focus on Abraham Lincoln being a vampire hunter before he became president. I was hoping for a bit more he 's a president by day, a vampire hunter by night, but it seems to be this was the man he was before he became president. That said, trailers can be misleading, so I could be completely wrong there however i i 'm going to go i'm going to find time during the day to go to an empty cinema and see that definitely
2: and a second film. The Dictator, starring Sasha Baron Cohen uh, and Ben Kingsley, as well as Anna Faris, Megan Fox, John C. Reilly, uh, tells the story of a North African dictator from a, a made-up country. Um, and from the trailers I've seen, it does look incredibly funny. I'm a big fan of Sasha Baron Cohen's work, whether it be Ali G, Borat or Bruno, whether he's sort of the co-star or a secondary star in a film... As he was in the Ballad of Ricky Bobby with um, Will Ferrell, or recently in Hugo, where he was kind of the comic relief and pretty good in that. Um, so yeah, it seems like he's a Saddam Hussein-style leader, although a very funny one.
1: Yeah, that I I love uh, Sacha Baron Cohen's uh, characters. Like I loved Borat. Borat's still one of my favourite films in terms of comedy, and I can watch that over and over again. The trailer looks brilliant. The really great thing about this is it is apparently, and I don't know how much of this is spin and press, but it's apparently based on a novel that Saddam Hussein is claimed to have written um, <laughs> about. And and our, our, the underst- my understanding is that it was ghost written and Saddam Hussein had it published in Iraq in his name, but it's about a dictator who loves his country so much that he wants to defend it from Western democracy and things like that. So, uh, I think it looks fantastic. It's got some great cameos in. Ben Kingsley looks hilarious in it as well. Definitely excited about that one. I mean, ben Kingsley's... Yeah, I'm
0: excited about it as well. I'm, I'm just going to have to throw that in. I, I'm, I'm really excited about this one too. It's, it's, a, it's a good choice there, Steve.
2: I mean, ben Kingsley's a great actor. i um, not seen him in too many comedy roles myself, so but I think he could play quite well off of Sacha Baron Cohen. I think that could work really well. Um,
1: he played himself really well and very funny in The Sopranos. Um, yeah, at series four, I think it was when they all went out to L.A. He he showed great comic timing in those few scenes uh, in The Sopranos. So I've got a lot of hope for him there.
2: Um, finally, um,
1: Mighty Ducks four.
2: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> if only the day the day that happens, I'll be uh, I could die a happy man. Uh, no. The final film I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing. Or maybe just is, reboot Mighty Ducks. Yeah, uh, yeah Men in, we've done all these
0: franchise reboots. So let's, let's reboot Mighty Ducks. Why is no one rebooting the Mighty Ducks? Yeah, again? get
2: get Keenan from Keenan and Kel and the the chubby one from Dawson's Creek to to be coaches <laughs> of a team and bring it all back. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes, Men in Black, Men, <laughs> Men in Black Three, um, out at the end of this month, starring. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones of course and this time Josh Brolin um, who plays a younger version of Tommy Lee Jones and in the brief clip I have seen in the trailer of Josh Brolin playing a young Tommy Lee Jones he has got it down to a T he has yeah, got he, it. We really
1: look,
2: he looks like he's doing a spot on impression of Agent K
1: yeah, I've, I I hope this is good. I've got my worries about this. Just mm. leaving it so long and then coming back for a third one. But, I mean, because I, I, I love Will Smith. I really like the first film. I thought the second one was okay. I really hope it's not bad. I hope it is pretty decent. They're
2: not they're not great films by any means. Men in Black, but they're always enjoyable. You can always just watch them quite happily and enjoy them. And they're never, you know, they're always decent. They're always stand ups for repeat watching. So I'm interested to see where they go with this. They're always quite funny as well. Will Smith is a brilliant actor, even in films that he's in that aren't good films. Say, I Am Legend, which wasn't a great film. um, Nowhere near as good as the book, of course, but Will Smith was fantastic in it.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he has a good presence in everything yeah. he does as well. He's always brings a, a real lot of personality to his role, so he, he might carry this film if, if it's not that good, I think. Yeah.
1: I think that's the other reason I want it to be good as well, because he doesn't do many films these days. And so we don't get Will Smith on screen very often. So I want to make sure that every time he is on screen, he's in something good. Because I do think he is a a really good actor.
2: Um, As of yet, no song to go along with this Men in Black movie, as with previous ones.
1: Oh, I'm sure he can (laughs) dust off the... um microphone and get back in the recording studio um, for this one. It'd be a shame if we yeah. didn't
2: get a rap to go along with it. <laughs> uh,
0: I think this is this is the one that worried me because Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber are in it, if, if I remember off the top of my oh, head. Oh really? Yeah, mm. I, I don't know whether they're just cameo in or, or whether they actually have roles, but I remember hearing that they were going to be in it, so maybe they'll combine and do a song with Will Smith.
2: Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not looking forward to it anymore. Um... <laughs> Yes, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll be back with Triple Bill as usual. This week, we are looking at our favourite film, Speeches. Welcome to Triple Bill, a part of the Fail Critic podcast where we look at the top three in a certain genre or area of film, um, and pick our favourites, and also ask for suggestions from yourselves, the listeners. Uh, so James is going to start off by telling us what some of the listeners sent in for this week's topic: the top film speeches of all time.
1: Okay, a few that we've had in. Uh, I hope they don't cross over when anyone's here. But uh, there's a great speech in M. Uh, which one of the lads on the forum mentioned, which I'm just having a look now to see, uh, it's Lars Dudley. He also mentioned there's a few great ones by characters in 12 Angry Men as well. Um, I do know there is an Al Pacino, Al Pacino has come up a few times, and I'm going to put my hand up now and say I've got an Al Pacino speech, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the same one as we've got here, so I'll I'll leave that until afterwards.
2: Okay. Any others from the listeners or...
1: Just having a quick look here. Uh, there's a load of Al Pacino. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems to do very well there. Um, and, yeah, that's about it. We haven't had too many suggestions, actually, that I can spot.
0: There was a shout-out for Braveheart as well, I think. Was,
1: oh, yes. No, I think I, think I, I ignored Braveheart. But, no, you're right. Someone did say Braveheart. It's a very famous speech, mm. definitely. you yeah. never take our freedom. Yeah, that, that one. Close to,
2: close to making my selection, but didn't in the end um anyway shall we start with our own and james let's start with yours
1: okay so my first choice uh is actually from team america world police i'm going to apologize now for the swearing uh but it's quoted so that's why here's a clip i don't know much in this crazy crazy world but i do know that if you don't let us fuck this
3: asshole, we are going to have our dicks and our pussies all covered in shit.
1: Okay, so that is the, uh, there are three types of people in the world speech. Uh, pussies, dicks and assholes. Basically, the story is Team America World Police, if you haven't seen it. It's the from the guys who bought you South Park, but it's marionettes it's about Gary a top gun actor of uh, team america and he's addressing all the nations in the world at a big big party being held by kim jong il and in 2 minutes he manages to sum up the most accurate portrayal of us foreign policy ever committed to film in my opinion uh it's simple it's funny and it's actually quite beautifully performed by someone who isn't really an actor so that is my number 3 choice how about your number uh, that's a good choice
2: how about your number two choice?
1: My number two choice is, this is my Al Pacino choice. So my Al Pacino choice, because I think he had to be in here somewhere, comes from Scent of a Woman. Here is a clip.
3: I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is, Mr. Trask. I would show you, but I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too fucking blind. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place.
1: Okay, so that clip uh, was Al Pacino standing up at a disciplinary hearing for Charlie, who is a student at a prestigious school on a scholarship. He's being threatened with expulsion because he is refusing to name these kind of rich students who have pulled a prank, and he knows who it was, and the school are using him for leverage. They're threatening him with expulsion to get names. One of these rich students who who's covering up what's going on is actually it's a very young Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, in a really good role. Uh, this is Pacino at his angriest before he got a bit hammy uh, as he did in later years. Uh, his fury at the whole system is magnificent Um I absolutely... This speech goes on for about six minutes and it is such a beautifully worded speech. Uh, I cannot help but just sometimes stick it on YouTube and sit there and watch it. I, I love Pacino. I love him in this film and I love this speech.
2: How about your number one film speech of all time then, James?
1: My number one film speech of all time? Well, to be honest, how could I not have some Shakespeare in here? Uh, okay, Shakespeare, the, the grandfather of theatrical speeches and this is Laurence Olivier, one of the best Shakespearean actors of all time, delivering one of my favourite Shakespearean speeches. Here's the clip.
3: We few, we happy few,
0: we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so base, and gentlemen in England now abed
3: shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhood's cheek, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Day.
1: Okay, so that was from Henry V from 1944. The uh, the We Merry Few, We Band of Brothers speech. Um, so stirring. It's a brilliant speech saying, look, no matter how few of us there are, if there are few of us to fight this battle, then that means more glory between us all. And everyone will be so jealous that we weren't here to fight this battle. And I remember, just to clarify, last week I said that it would be uh, films with great speeches. This film actually has two absolutely fantastic speeches. It isn't just the uh, "We band of brothers speech. It's also got the um, cry God for Harry, England and St. George speech as well, about once more into the breach, dear friends, once more... uh, Basically, Olivier did this as a, it was war effort. It was to raise the morale of this country. He agreed not to be in any films for 18 months to build up the suspense to him appearing on screen. uh, screen. He directed this. It is a brilliant film, uh, filmed in Technicolor in 1944. It's a beautiful rendition of Henry V, and it is just absolutely amazing that in that time of turmoil he managed to he, he physically managed to rally this entire country as well as the fake troops he had on screen so i love his performance in henry v i think it's one of the finest screen performances of all time and this speech epitomizes it
0: yeah i, I think you could have also uh, thrown in a couple of different versions of that speech and they all would have been awesome you know any of the kind of brandon versions as well they still would have been brilliant exactly
1: trailer. yeah i looked at the kenneth but and the kenneth branner one is beautifully delivered but i i felt it's olivier uh, i've got to stick olivier
2: in it's my favorite three many people if you've listened to the first two podcasts might have expected me to go for emilio estevez in mighty ducks 2 ducks fly together <laughs> but no i haven't gone for that but my first choice is a sporting movie mike bassett england manager uh, Mike Bassett, played by Ricky Tomlinson, here's a clip of the speech.
3: Yours is the earth, and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing 4 4 fucking, 2
2: and, well, for those of you who don't know the story, Mike Bassett is the unlikely choice for England manager after the top names in the world of football turn it down. Uh, sounds like a familiar story to all of us. <laughs> he manages to scrape England to the World Cup in Brazil, but it looks like they're going to go out in a group stage. Mike Bassett has disgraced himself by getting drunk in front of cameras, and in front of fans, and has held a press conference. Many expect him to announce he's going to leave the England job. But he announces he's going to stay and fight on. The press deride him. They just shout abuse. They want rid of him. When Bassett recites the Rudyard Kipling poem, If, and ends it fantastically with England will be playing (laughs) 4-4-2. I just wish Mr Capello had done a press conference like that. (laughs) <laughs> I I would love it if any England manager ain't, Roy Hodgson should be playing that to an England team at half time in a the game they're not doing so well into rousing because I'll tell you what, it was brilliant. It's an exciting speech, it's a rousing speech, um, from a film you might not expect. And for those around the globe who listen to this podcast, if you like football as well, football spreading to North America and getting more popular, watch this film, it's very funny and parodies football excellently.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we've just missed out on an opportunity to have something similar to Mike Bassett by Harry Redknapp not getting the job there. I think he would have he would have been along those lines in his motivational speeches. He definitely would have been uh, a bit sceptical of tactical variation, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh,
2: number two was Dirty Harry, and here's the clip.
3: But being this is .44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off forget to ask yourself
2: one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? It's probably one of the most iconic film speeches of all time. Honestly, Dirty Harry, a film about a cop played by Clint Eastwood, Harry Callahan, um, the San Francisco police.
1: Yeah, uh, great film, great film. Interestingly, that's the first one we've come up with so far where it's a speech to one man, but... I, I, I think that doesn't matter there because it is a it is a beautifully worded speech. There is no filler there at all. I and that's Eastwood at his best. I love it.
2: And finally, for myself, is the speech from Independence Day by President Bill Pullman uh, on the eve of battle on Independence Day. Coincidentally enough, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are off into space to take the shields down uh, on the. Alien spaceship, much in a similar way to the way that the Death Star was blown up in Return of the Jedi, where two people go, well, some people go and take the shields down, the rest of them go and blow up the Death Star. Uh, I don't know if there's any reason why they're the same. But yes, the president gives a speech on the day, rouses the troops, and claims it's not just Independence Day for America anymore, but Independence Day for the whole world.
3: to survive today we celebrate our independence day
1: and uh a second time we've had independence day in this triple middle yeah. so far in <laughs> so it's mighty ducks and independence day is uh becoming a theme there but you're right that 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 speech is actually a really really good speech so no good choice i think that steve um
2: Finally, Jerry. let's move on to your three.
1: Okay, um,
0: I tried to choose my films where there was at least uh, one speech, but preferably more than one. Um, My first one uh, is coming from Pulp Fiction. There was a lot of candidates, particularly uh, Christopher Walken's speech, so if I eliminate that one, you're probably going to know what the other one is. Uh, (laughs) Delivered by Samuel L. Jackson, and here's the clip. And the
3: finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon
2: thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know
3: my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance
0: upon thee. Well, that was Samuel L. Jackson uh, giving a pretty career-defining, ass-kicking speech there. Uh, I think the the beauty of it is, I mean, there's a lot of a lot being made of the fact that it's not a real Bible quote; it's a slight adaptation, so uh, it's not quite as authentic as people sometimes claim. But it's his delivery of it, it's his attitude, it's the whole, the, the bulging eyes and the fury that comes through as he as he says it. So um, it's just it's a it's a good speech, but it's it's his delivery that makes it so good, really. I think, and it really did catapult Samuel Jackson and it, and that kind of style into into the
1: making him now the highest grossing actor of all time, as we found out last week from James. Exactly, yeah. It still raises the hairs on the back of my neck, that speech, just as it crescendos. it Again, it's another one where you've got a scriptwriter who has beautifully put together, has taken care over every single word and crafted something uh, magnificent in just 20, 30 seconds. And that speech will... Will go on for years. People will still be talking about that speech in fifty years' time. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was there's so many good lines in the rest of the film, though. I mean, just just thinking through Pulp Fiction, I mean, that is just one of many. It's, it's I think that's what makes it such a great film was all the the brilliant speech throughout it. But that yeah. really is the ultimate out of the whole film. My second choice, again, it was it was one where I had a couple of choices from the film. Slightly unusual choice, I went for Goodwill Hunting. Um, I could have chosen the bar scene where Matt Damon tears a really smug student, a completely new arsehole when he's trying Which to. Which I be, love. Uh, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> that is an yeah, amazing
0: scene. So, yeah. I really love that, but um, I think it was just topped by uh, Robin Williams as Sean giving giving Matt Damon's Will a bit of a bit of advice about about life and experience. And here's the clip.
3: I ask you about what you probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But
1: you've never been near one.
3: You've never held your best friend's head in your lap. You watch him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help.
0: So that was uh, Robin Williams teaching some life lessons to Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, who is a very smart kid, but as, as we, we see, he's not. he doesn't know everything. Uh, it's just brilliant the way he suddenly goes from going to quite generalistic things and, and giving him examples of of possible things. And then suddenly he starts talking about, you know, you've never held your, your best friend's head in your lap, watched him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. And it's that sudden pain and vulnerability that goes goes throughout it that, that really makes it such a great speech. And Williams is a great actor. Um, and throughout it, you've seen Matt Damon's character think that he is, you know, a real font of knowledge for everyone. And, and it it takes him down a level, but in a, in a way that... Really appeals to the emotions rather than just being angry and and deliberately trying to take him down. So uh, it was just it's just a fantastic speech. It's really well delivered and really brilliantly written.
1: That is a great speech. Um, I I think Robin Williams is by far the best thing in that film, and that moment is when you realise, like you say, Robin Williams is a fantastic serious character actor, and it's a shame we don't see more of that side of him.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the bit about his wife is just heartbreaking and the way he delivers it and, and it, it's, he takes the dialogue which is admittedly it's very good but he really does craft that into something extraordinary and, and mm. it, the, the comedy roles that he does I don't think he, he really gives credit to the fact that he can take these more difficult roles and really really maximise what he can do with um, them I mean he's, he's a fantastic actor unfortunate, when
2: he, when he was, Unfortunately Robin Williams seems to be remembered more for stuff like Flubble and he does like Good Will Hunting Yeah um, uh, It's
1: a shame because he has had um He's fantastic in Insomnia, one of the earlier Chris Nolan films. He's, you know, plays a really scary psycho in that. Absolutely brilliantly. He's got, I think, he can cover both light and dark. But the dark bit works because I think a little bit of his reputation, and you know that he's a funny guy. So when he does go dark, and when he goes dark serious, it works so well on screen.
0: Yeah. Uh, my final choice, which was my number one choice or Great Speeches, uh, it was a f- pretty obvious choice. <clears throat> I think you were, you, were coming, you were trying to avoid this one because you knew I was yeah. going yeah. <laughs> to throw it out there. And that is from a Charlie Chaplin film called The Great Dictator. Uh, and in my opinion, it is the, the greatest speech in movie history. And here's a little snippet of it for, you, for your enjoyment. I'm sorry. But I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business.
3: I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help
0: one another. Human beings are like that.
3: We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery.
0: That was Charlie Chaplin as as the great dictator trying to stir world peace and unity and feelings of love and happiness among people. And really, it's a just it's a great run. He takes apart the whole modernization of, of culture and society and hatred that, that seems to overwhelm everything sometimes and uh, it's just a fantastically emotional speech but without being too uh, cheesy shall we say, it's, it's really a, an appeal to, to improving the world and improving ourselves and it's just it's just overall, it's just blows me away every time I hear it and it's by far the best speech in movie history in my opinion, I mean you can argue that all you want but I'm not going <laughs> to change my mind on that one it,
2: I mean it is fantastic, it transcends time, I mean you could play it now or 200 years ago and it's probably still relevant
1: yeah and it's I mean, great that you've chosen a speech there by someone who is predominantly known as being a silent actor uh and it's great you know you you see do you know what if he if he had had his career 20 30 years later he would have still had a career it, you know it wasn't he wasn't just a silent man
0: yeah and i think that was the first real big non-silent film that he did as well and it was it wasn't appreciated as much at the time as it is perhaps now, but it's just, it, his performance all the way through is, is fantastic. And I mean, it is satirising the Nazis and fascism and dictatorships. And, and it, as you say, it becomes timeless because we see the, the same things repeated in dictatorships and nasty regimes all, all across the world throughout like the last century and into into today. But it's just fantastic that, to switch from this sort of, slapstick roles that he was doing in silent films, to being able to to, to deliver a speech like that, it's just, it's it's fantastic. He really was a a great actor that you you, you don't see that many aspects to people's characters nowadays. I mean, you won't get someone who's a great slapstick comic comic actor like, um, I don't know, Jim Carrey is the only one that springs to mind that that does that kind of thing and can do serious roles. I mean, Mm -hmm. other than Robin Williams and Jim Carrey, you don't really get... Anybody bridges those
1: two worlds. You couldn't imagine Adam Sandler in The Great Dictator, could you?
2: No. No, I mean, I've seen Adam Sandler do a couple of serious roles and he's not been too bad, but I doubt he could do anything of that magnitude. No. Mm.
1: Okay, uh, John Lovitz. Couldn't imagine John Lovitz doing that. Um,
2: Well, none of us went for Al Pacino's Inches speech from any given Sunday.
1: (laughs) that was my other owl choice, to be honest, and that was also mentioned on the forum. Um, I think and I watched it earlier just to confirm my views, and it is a fantastic speech. But I couldn't have two Al Pacinos in my top. I, three I think before. it would just
2: been. I think a lot of the time we do these lists, us we try not to be too obvious, and that one would have been too obvious.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. This week, alone. Yeah. Was abstract, <laughs> alone last week. This, this week we were trying to avoid. Any given, uh, I mean, it's a it's a really great speech, and I think particularly in a sporting context, there's there's no other sporting movies that have produced a speech like that. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that's quite reached that that level.
2: Um, well, before we end part two, then James, you should want to tell the listeners what um what the subject is for next week's triple bill.
1: Okay, yeah, I've just realised I've not even told you guys yet, have I? So this is this is a surprise to everyone. <clears throat> um so yeah next week's triple bill i've decided we are going to come up with our favorite films with brilliant soundtracks okay they need to be absolutely cracking soundtracks not just a good theme song but quality soundtracks all the way through so next week triple bill fantastic soundtracks
2: and just quickly where can the listeners send or post us their suggestions if they've got any
1: OK, you can uh, tweet them to me at, at the failed critic, or just use the hashtag FailedCritic hashtag on Twitter and I'll see them there. You can uh, post them in our new official thread on the Football 365 forum or you can leave comments after where you've downloaded this pod on our Libsyn page.
2: OK, well, that's it for part two. In part three, we'll be back with the good, the bad or the ugly where we take a look at some of the films we've been watching this week. Into the final furlong of this week's podcast now. Um, As I said, called The Good, The Bad, or The Ugly. A bit of a change to previously, but the format's still the same. We're going to go through some of the films that we have watched this week and give them a bit of a review for you. Uh, James has been to a film festival this week, so we'll let him start with what he's been watching there um, and which film festival it was.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Steve. I went to Sundance London uh, last weekend. It was. It took place at the Sydney World at O two. Robert Redford was there. I didn't see him though. Uh, Prince Charles was there, uh, introducing his new ecological film that he's produced. I, however, went on a Sunday morning uh, to see Safety Not Guaranteed. Firstly, Sundance London, a little bit soulless. I'll be honest. It felt like I was just going to a cinema on a Sunday morning. There wasn't too much atmosphere about it at all. It might just be because all the crazy festival people don't bother to go and watch films on a Sunday morning. Uh, maybe I was the fool, I don't know. However, because it was a film festival audience, people respected the film. People turned their phone off. People didn't talk during the film. So in that sense, it was great. We also had a Q&A with the director afterwards, which was brilliant. But the film I went to see was Safety Not Guaranteed. It's the debut feature from uh, director Colin Trevorrow and writer Derek Connolly, stars Aubrey Plaza, uh, who you might know from Parks and Rec or uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. She's the sarcastic girl who works in the record store there. It stars Mark Duplass, who's in The League, and also wrote and directed Jeff Who Lives at Home, which is out this week. And it also stars Jake Johnson, who is the nice guy Nick from the sitcom New Girl, which people might have seen recently as well. It's based on a, a real advert, which was uh, placed in America and which got fame on the internet in about 2005. The advert reads Wanted someone to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I have only done this once before. Okay, that was a real advert that was placed and it inspired the writer to write this film. Now, Aubrey Plaza, uh, she She's part of a team. She plays a character called Darius who um, goes from a magazine out to small-town America to investigate the ad and to try and get an interview with Kenneth, who is the guy who play, uh, plays the ad. He's played by Mark Duplass. It's a really, really sweet story. For such a time-travelly, uh, science-fiction-based setup, there isn't actually a lot of science fiction going on here. There's a lot of human drama, a lot of comedy. Uh, it's very, very funny. Duplass and Plaza's... Uh, chemistry really, really holds it together. There's a scene where they're uh, at, sat next to a campfire, and he just earnestly sings a song. It's not played for laughs at all. It's quite an earnest scene, but their chemistry pulls that scene together. It doesn't feel schmaltzy, and you believe them. And having, you know, speaking to the director afterwards, he was saying that. It has a very 1980s Amblin movie film. It feels like it will, it definitely feels like it was inspired by the 80s. It has the hope uh, and almost the naivety of a lot of those films that were around in the 80s. And the version I saw actually had a changed ending, which the director said was based entirely on how he would have wanted the film to end had he watched it as a kid in the 80s. He changed, he changed the ending. Uh, based on that. And it, it really works. It's got a lovely soundtrack, some lovely performances, really funny. I really, really hope people go and watch this later on this year. It was made for less than a million dollars, which if you think, you know, you for one John Carter of Mars, you could get 250 of these films. And I'd rather have 250 of these small gems. It's a beautiful, beautiful film, but it will probably only be in your local art cinema for about five days sometime in September. So when it <clears> does get there, please go and watch it because cinema like this really, really needs to be supported.
0: When you say that the ending was changed, do you mean that changed from real life or that he, they recorded one and then he didn't like it and changed it completely to a different they, ending? They,
1: they entered because it was it originally played at proper Sundance in January and they got into that Sundance festival based on one ending um, and about a week before it was due to show at Sundance, Utah they, the director thought, no, I'm going to put my own money in. I'm going to re- go out and film another ending. And so he went and he's filmed a different ending and they put it on there. And that got, and it got a standing ovation at Sundance uh, in Utah. He got applause when I saw it. But yeah, he went and he wasn't happy with the original ending. He's gone and filmed a different one.
0: Good stuff. Well, it's nice that people really care enough about the films to realise that they need
1: to... Yeah, uh, and he did at, at the Q and A. He described the original ending to Improved us. It. And it. Th- I think the new ending works better, definitely.
0: Did he? Did he discuss the original ending at all? Yeah, like, he discussed you know he the original told, ending.
1: Yeah. He actually he said the original ending worked in in certain ways, and it did, uh, but it didn't work for other characters. <coughs> Ultimately, I think he's changed it because he thought of himself as a fan watching this type of movie? How would I actually, as a fan, want it to end? And so he ha- he has made it a little bit for the audience, but not as the result of endless test screening and focus groups and a committee getting involved. It is just one creative voice going, do you know what? I think it'll work. I-, I was wrong. I think it'll work better like this, which I think is only to be applauded.
0: Yeah, it's commendable, because I think a lot of people as well forget about the experience of your average person sat in the cinema watching a film, You know, it's all great to to have all these esoteric things that focus groups will tell you is brilliant. But a lot of the time, I think that the experience of the viewer just sat in a cinema watching it is is sort of secondary to what they
1: often want to do in the creative process. So I'd also say that the the end that it has got is more ambiguous than the original one as well. So it isn't just like... He hasn't changed it to type a load of loose ends. In fact, he probably asks more questions with it. But it was... I think it works so much better with the feel of that film.
0: Uh, I'll be sure to check it out. It, it sounds really interesting. I mean, that ad on its own is just yeah.
1: one of the most intriguing things you can find out.
2: <laughs> Any other films that you've been watching yeah, this week?
1: Yeah, um, I watched one this week. Uh, I finally worked out how to get... Um, Uh, Video on demand on American sites to work for myself. So I was quite happy with that. So I could uh, watch God Bless America, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. I just wanted to say that I also enjoyed it. It was very dark. Um, And in fact, the opening few minutes, I realized my wife would never be able to watch this film um, simply because, you know, there's a fantasy that goes on in the first few minutes, which if you're not going to buy into it there and then, you're not going to enjoy this film. But as someone who has, I'll be honest, fantasised about shooting people in the face for using their phone in the cinema, I was a big fan of this film. So I really, really enjoyed God Bless America. Uh, so I've only had, i only got one other film I want to talk about this week. And I'm not even sure I want to talk about it, to be honest. But I was at my sister's house on Saturday morning and there was a load of girls getting ready for a wedding. Um and someone put Sex and the City, the movie, on. I've never seen one it. or two. Uh, the first one, oh, okay, it's probably the so... best out of two. Yeah, all right, I've okay, never said se- so I've never s- seen, you've them. You've I've
2: seen them. <laughs> never I've never seen them.
1: them. <laughs> oh, I've right. I know I've heard two is horrendous. Even my wife will say that two is a horrendous racist mess. However, that was the one that brought out
0: a big
1: feminist outcry, wasn't it? The second one, it was, was, yeah. Oh, yeah, but that I'll be honest. I think I was the only one actually paying attention to this. It was quite girly background noise for everyone else. But I thought, no, as my, in my new role as a, a critical uh, voice in the cinema world, I, I need to pay a little bit of attention to this. I'll be honest, I quite enjoyed the original TV series. I wouldn't search it out, but I'd watch it if it was on. It was on HBO. And there was, even if you didn't like it that much, you could tell it was, it had a creative vision. It had, it had a definite voice. This film has no artistic vision, uh, basically no artistic merit whatsoever. Carrie Bradshaw, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, gets jilted again and spends half the movie as if someone has died. I, I, it, actually, no, half the movie as if someone has massacred her entire family. At one point, she goes away on honey, on the honeymoon anyway, um, and it's in Mexico, and she's got the shutters down in her room, and it's like the end of Apocalypse Now. Well, love can you know, feel with... like
2: a massacre sometimes, sometimes James.
1: It, it can do. <laughs> and Maybe I'm a bit harsh on Carrie Bradshaw. I just cannot understand how any woman would aspire to be Carrie Bradshaw. She is the most self-obsessed, horrible woman I have ever seen depicted. Some of the other characters are okay. Uh, Kim Cattralla's Samantha has some good lines, and pretty much is the, mo- the only positive thing of this film. However, Carrie Bradshaw, who is the woman that all these women are meant to aspire to, uh, they want to be... Ga- she is nasty. She uh, At one point, they're feeding her pudding through a spoon. She's pathetic. Uh, she says, will I ever laugh again? And says it with a straight face, and it's not said in jest. It, it's so melodramatic. It's like a Spanish soap opera. I was so annoyed. It took itself so seriously, and it completely went against the spirit of the original TV series. Um, you know, she gets an assist- I don't know why this woman needs an assistant in the first place. She she buys shoes and she mopes around her apartment. She gets an assistant. At one point she says, St. Louise, you brought me back to life. La- oh, it's sickening. It, there is racism in this. There is faux feminism, which is actually setting back the sisterhood by years. And to top it all off, it is longer than Goodfellas. Okay, this, it is two and a half hours long. I don't know how I survived. Like shooting myself, I absolutely loathe this film and everything it stands for. Well, okay.
2: Jerry, <laughs> what have you been watching this week?
0: Uh Thankfully, not Sex and the City. I'd like to like to echo James's sentiments about how horrible and horrendous I find Carrie Bradshaw, and in fact, the whole series. I don't. I don't have any redeeming qualities to, to find in that either. I, I'm, I'm even more extreme than you. I think the whole thing is just appalling. Anyway, my film, uh, the good film that I watched this week uh, was a bit of an unusual one. It was called Breathing, or Atmen, in its original language. It was an Austrian film. Um, tells the story of a 19-year-old Austrian uh, lad called Roman. He spent his whole life in institutions because his mother abandoned him as when he was a baby, and when we meet in these, in the juvenile detention centre, um, for accidentally killing, uh, someone in one of the previous institutions he was in. Uh, and he's, he's waiting on a parole hearing to see if he can get released and he needs a job to try and help his chances of, of being released. And they let him out on, on day release to go and work, um, which is a quite unusual situation, but it's obviously pretty normal in, in Austria. Um, and he, he's looking around and it starts off and he's, you know, he's having failed attempts at finding employment. He's very reluctant about the whole thing but he, he they advise him that he needs to find a job and he spots an ad in the paper for an Undertaker's uh, and he decides to try it and it goes on from there and it's just it was a fantastic film I absolutely loved it actually the more I think about it the better it gets Um the guy who played Roman was just superb and he really managed to capture how troubled and conflicted the character was without being showy or schmaltzy or over the top about it. It wasn't in your face. It was just a very quiet sort of expressions were, were were showing everything that you needed to without having to to be melodramatic. And I watched Shame this week, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And this was really, it was a great lesson in how to portray someone who was brooding and, and difficult and doesn't say much. And, and I thought Shame sort of failed in that respect, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the film was, it was quite quiet. It was very interesting. Uh, without being too heavy on dialogue. It was it was a bit lingering in, in parts, but generally it was really well-paced. Um, it kept moving along. The story was, was really nice. The characters that you meet, they developed really nicely over it, especially Roman, who you really you really were rooting for him, despite him perhaps at the start being potentially a, a dislikable character because he's in for, for manslaughter. So you, you're not expecting to like him. And really the most interesting parts were when he was... Starting his job and learning learning his trade, he was you know really just confronted by death and corpses and cadavers, and it doesn't really hold back in showing you corpses. So if you have a real fear of dead people, it's not the not the attitude for you, uh, not the uh, the film for you if you've got that attitude. But um, there was a real contrast between the way that his coworkers saw these bodies and how normal and everyday it was, and how they just dealt with it matter of factly, and and him. Being really shocked by them and and sort of being reluctant to to get involved with them and get hands on with them, uh, and it was really well done. It was really tasteful. It wasn't done for shock value or or anything else. It wasn't gaudy. It was just really nice and tasteful and thought provoking, and it made you really think about how you know death really is quite quite normal, and we we do ignore it as a society and and as people. We we don't really think about all the things that are involved when someone dies and when undertakers get involved. And it, it was really good at drawing that out, but also that was sort of a sideline because you really were concerned about, about the main character and about how he, <coughs> how he developed overall. And, you know, it was, it was same Vienna and I watched the third man, uh, not too long ago. So it was a very different portrayal of Vienna to, uh, the third man's version, but it was, it was nicely shot. It was, some of it was a bit lingering and, and empty and there was a lot of empty spaces and, you know, empty silences and stuff, but they, he managed to to portray everything that he needed to without necessarily speaking, which was a real welcome change when I think sometimes there's, there's an over-reliance on dialogue. It was just really well acted. The director, um, that was his first film, and I think he wrote it as well, a guy called Karl Markovich. Um, you, you you would never tell it was his first time. He, he, he seemed really experienced and gave that impression. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what else he, he produces because he directed his main character brilliantly, directed the whole thing brilliantly, uh, and it was brilliant. But um, I also want to have a, a bit of a a little uh, love song for independent cinemas now because we I went and it sort of restored my faith in cinema because I went to the showroom in Sheffield, um, which was a completely different experience to what you usually get in a, a multiplex. Um, and it was just fantastic. We went in, um, we had a drink and, the, and some food in a little cafe bar, uh, it was a nice, relaxed atmosphere. It wasn't commercialised and in your face like a multiplex. There was R.E.M. and the Beatles on a, an appropriate level in the background, which is, is something that you don't usually get in cinema. It's usually very loud. Uh, and then we just wandered through. The, the seats were pre-booked when you, when you bought them, uh, and they told you where, how long the trailers were so you could you could skip over uh, all the, the, the stuff that you don't care about and just sit in your seats and not be worried about getting in there to make sure you get a good view. Uh, you could take drinks in. They've got a really good selection of beers. There was like seven or eight beers and local ales. They had Star Prama and they had all sorts of continental lagers so and wine and stuff and spirits. And it's just it's a much better way to watch your films than your standard multiplex experience, really. And we talked about um, The Hobbit and how they needed to increase the gap between your cinematic experience and your home experience in order to keep people coming to the cinema. But that really is, is how to do it, in my opinion, rather than technology. It's making it a really nice experience. It was, a whole, um, it was a whole day out, really. We went and had food. You could eat, you could drink, you could talk. And it, it was a nice atmosphere to be there all, for a long time, other than, than just you watching your film. So it was just fantastic. So, I mean, just a bit of a call to people, to support your local independent cinema if you have one. Uh, and anybody who's near the showroom, I know it's one of the best in the UK. It wins all sorts of awards. But go, go there and go and see it. And you'll get to see films that aren't necessarily out at your multiplexes and it was cheaper than the, than their multiplex ticket as well so not only was it much much better but it
1: cost me less money so I, I
0: totally
1: had a really good, agree. good time totally agree I just want to give a quick kind of plug actually to my local art cinema because not only have I been to see some brilliant films there recently they're called Phoenix Square in Leicester again Uh, Great selection of beers, you can take your beers in Staff are friendly, staff are knowledgeable about about films as well Uh, Really nice atmosphere But also they uh, retweeted about our podcast to 3,000 of their followers uh, this week as well So thank you very much Phoenix Square in Leicester Uh, These places are precious Please don't let independent cinemas go to the wall Uh, Please go and watch films there because they are so important I totally agree
0: Yeah, it was, it was just fantastic. It really like restored my faith in cinema. As I say, it really reminded me of what it should be like and and not the sort of horrible multiplex experience that you sometimes have. And that I had with the Avengers when there was people rustling and stuff. It was just really nice to have something completely different. But the film, not to take away anything from the film, the film was fantastic. Really big recommendation to try and find it. Seek it out if you can get it on an independent cinema or look out for it when it's released on DVD. It won prizes. I think it won. Um, best film during Directors Week at Cannes. uh, won a prize at Sarajevo Film Festival. It, it's quite decorated, but it's just brilliant. <coughs> it's good film. And my not-so-good film this week, slightly against what many people have been saying, is Shame, um, which I thought was good, and it had a lot of elements in it that, that really had the makings of a really good film in there, but it didn't quite do it. And um, it was interesting. Because I wanted to find out what was happening, and I wanted to know what 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 was the the reason why these characters were like they are, and and why they were behaving in that way, and and, and what they were going to do next. But I didn't really empathise much with them, um, and you know it was it was just a bit empty, really. And he, it was it was nice, it was well shot. Um, McQueen is is a real. I mean, he is an artist. He's he's transferred from being an artist to being a filmmaker, and I really enjoyed *Hunger*, which was his his debut film. Yeah, and it's really nice to look at and you know i think some of the shots as much as he does really good single take shots other times he it was just too much that he, he really let these empty spaces drag on and and slowed the film down a bit too much and it it, it just felt disjointed and and a bit too lingering and it, it took away from what could have been a very good performance and a lot was made of Fastbender's performance in that but i i thought he was he was quite weak by his standards, really. I mean, he 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 wasn't allowed to really get the full effect of what it should have been because of the direction. I feel. I mean, I think it was a it was a good film, and it had some moments which were brilliant, but it was just a bit too flawed to be really good. And then having seen Breathing, um, that was a similar kind of effect in that it was it's quite brooding. The main character was often silent and trying to express things through facial expressions and and through his, what he was doing, and and it was just so much so much. Of a better way of doing the exact same thing than Shane was it was it was quite shocking really and i mean it was a good film as i say but I, i there was something lacking in it that that really stopped it from from being too great and i can't see why it got so many nominations and and so much critical praise recently i mean i don't know if anybody else has seen it
1: i really i'll be honest i really liked it i saw it a couple of months ago um I don't know if it helped. And do you know what? I'd, I'd love this. now After my Sundance experience, and actually I saw Shame where there was a live Q&A afterwards because it was a preview screening. Um, I'd love, it, when going to the cinema, I'd love to have a Q&A with the director after every film. It really helps me <laughs> kind of file my thoughts away and answer some questions that I did have about the film. I don't know if that's why I liked it more because I got to hear Steve McQueen and the writer Abby Morgan talk about their process in making that film for about half an hour afterwards. And it helped me because I I was a little bit like you in the sense that I did find that sometimes the slower scenes did hold, hold the film back. Um, It didn't move on enough. And I'm, I'm a narrative junkie. I love story full stop, no matter how badly it's told. Usually I, I like stuff to happen and me for me to want to know what's going to happen. But in a way, having heard Steve McQueen talk about the film and think and I've thought about the film quite a lot since I saw it, it the film in itself is almost a kind of psychological disorder, as such. Um there are no answers. Um you, it's very difficult to sympathize with the character because you know, the the main character has quite an unsymp- you think it's almost quite an unsympathetic disorder because we don't understand it. Because you think, oh, sex addiction. Well, do you know what? If you look like Michael Fassbender, you're going to get loads of sex anyway, let's be honest. And I think my my only real criticism of it was that a sex addict who looks like that, and let's be honest, you know, he's a very, very good-looking man, and you see that he's pretty well-endowed as well uh, in the film. Do you know what? If, he's, if he is a sex addict, he's not going to have a lot of problem fulfilling that addiction is he women are going to fall at his feet basically i think it would have been a bit more interesting if it had shown a sex addict who has less chance with <laughs> you know I, I think that my only criticism would be it would have been a more interesting film with a less uh traditionally good-looking bloke in the main role who would have yeah you know, the fact is he had easy to be honest he had access to women and he had a lot of money he could fulfill his addiction quite easily. Um, and yet it still kind of destroyed his life almost. I think it just would have been a bit more interesting with someone less good-looking. that world. I'd also like to say, I thought Carrie Mulligan was excellent in this role as well, but um, a lot of people disagree with me on that. Maybe that's just because I love Carrie Mulligan too much. Yeah, that, that's I thought she I thought. was a bit weak in it, really. I thought her accent was all over the place as well, which was a bit... I think that took away from it. Yeah. Much for me. Although... what. One of my favourite scenes and shots of cinema this year is the um, the close up on her, the long shot close up on her singing uh, "New York, New York" for about three and a half minutes. That that is a beautifully shot scene. It reminded me a little bit of um, Sinead O'Connor's "Nothing Compares to You" in the sense, you know, you just you see all the emotion in a face. It's just a close up on a face singing an entire song, and you don't see in today's kind of films. Film world, film culture—you don't see directors who've got the patience to hold a shot for four minutes. Uh, and it, I, at least in that sense, I think uh, McQueen is to be uh, applauded for having the bravery to do that. Yeah, I
0: really—he did *Hunger*, which I really, really enjoyed. And yeah. I think that was sixteen, sixteen minutes and something. Yeah, Hunger. yeah, it's ridiculously long. Shot. Shot, it's yeah, <laughs> one of the best, best scenes that I've, I've seen. But I think in this, I could see. From his previous work, what he was trying to do, and and you know, I think the emptiness of it was trying to say something about their lives and how empty their lives were. But really, it just it just didn't quite do anything for me. It was it was a good film, but I think it was it was far too flawed to really do anything more than that for me.
2: Anyway, uh, we need to start wrapping things up now. So, James, do you just want to tell the listeners what's in store next week and where they can get in touch with us, etc.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, so next week we are going to be reviewing Dark Shadows, the new Tim Burton Johnny Depp, and I'm pretty sure Helena Bonham cartons going to show up somewhere well, in that film. I don't film. think she's actually. Uh, in it I this imagine he's going to have a soundtrack by Danny Elfman as well. Yeah, let let's see if he's going to surprise us at all. But that's what we will be reviewing. Well, Sorry, I've, what was that, Steve? I, was, I
2: don't think Helena Bonham Carter's in this Tim Burton film with Johnny Depp. No way. Um, no, I don't no. think she's in it. And from what I've seen on the yeah. trailer, the soundtrack sounds bloody brilliant.
1: Yeah, there's a very good 70s very, yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be reviewing Dark Shadows. We are, and talking of soundtracks... We're going to be talking about our three favourite films with absolutely fantastic soundtracks. You can find us, uh, we've got a blog at thefailedcritic.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Twitter at, at thefailedcritic. or use the hashtag, hashtag failedcritic. Or we are also available on failedcritic.libsyn.com. Uh, so I believe you've also got something you want to plug. I think we've got a plug for the first time ever here, Steve.
2: Well. Actually I'm gonna leave I'm gonna buy it this week and then review it and end it properly next week so Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing as just thinking about I don't really know too much about it, but I will I will because I didn't see any films this week, I will actually be watching a few next week and reviewing them.
0: Excellent. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to disappoint you, Steve Helena Bottom Carter is in this film.
2: Is she? I didn't <laughs> yeah. see her in the trailer.
0: I bloody knew it. I knew she would. Well, be. She might not be in the trailer, but she's definitely on the
1: build cast. Oh. <laughs> is that... oh, it Oh,
2: yeah, it's too they... predictable, was not it?
1: <laughs> and I am going to try and watch Pan's Labyrinth this week. Um, I'm I'm determined to finally open that cellophane for you, well, Jerry. The fact that you watched Sex and the City before Pan's Labyrinth, I think, is uh, very revealing. Yeah, the, we, there's we, a special circle of hell for people like me. We might yeah. be
2: actively seeking a replacement for you, know. <laughs>
1: At least I didn't like Sex in the City. Yeah. That would have been more yeah. well, At
2: least you're telling oh. us you didn't like Sex in the City. <laughs> <laughs> to try and retain some credibility.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I've got so little. Of yeah. <laughs>
2: Se- secretly, you loved it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, to be fair, there were boobs in it. Wow. So uh, that was good. And <sighs> also, I just want to say, I can't believe none of us mentioned The Raid. Um, I- I'm so excited about The Raid. I can't believe I forgot it. I'm chucking out in at the end. It's an uh, Indonesian uh, film. About people, uh, about a squat team go into a block of flats and they have to fight their way out through thirty floors of mayhem. Looks like the best action film since Hardboard. I just, you know, in terms of credibility, if we hadn't mentioned that in our summer preview, our credibility would have been completely shot. Well, yeah.
2: that's it for this week. Then <laughs> um, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Yep.
1: Yeah, well, I'll say goodbye. Yeah, and goodbye from me.